This is Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benham. I'm JP. And I'm Gareth. And joining us is the man himself. It's Alan Farrell. Thanks for coming on, mate. It's become a yearly tradition to, uh, to have you on this podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, did we do it two years? No, I think because I remember listening to you guys getting my lunch um, mm. two years ago when you did it. And uh, those those last few weeks before uh, lockdown hit in 2020. Um, mm. But I very much remember uh, spending, um, oh, what was it, about 45 minutes we rattled through the list last year? Uh, last year. Easy. <laughs> easy. Yeah. Done by four in the Off morning. an hour. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to try and keep this brief. Obviously, you know, you'll notice in your audio feeds. This is part one. So, you know, we've learned from last year. We're not just going to throw a six-hour podcast at everyone and expect them all all to listen. There will be a part two as well. But, you know, uh, we, double duty as well. We, you know, we use this podcast to, uh, to announce our, our live podcast at the top there. Ever been to Leeds, Alan? Are you a fan of the... Uh... <laughs> you can probably tell us more about Leeds FC, to be honest, than, uh, than the place itself. Yeah, I could definitely tell you much more about Lee Bowyer and Harry Q and the lads from uh, 99 to 2001 or even going back a bit further Gary Mack and Brian Dean oh. but the actual leads the area no haven't been there I'm afraid oh. it's good to see they've made a, you know, a return to prominence Premier League and stuff you know Big, uh, I, I, I put a on good a, result it, the other day yeah, yeah, hey, we got some of my favorite Rafinha, uh, Bamford, great pro- fancy Premier League players. You know, got them both in a Sathir and my team. I used the picture of uh, of Rafinha to uh, to tease the announcement today. I feel like it might have been a real giveaway, but you know, uh, <laughs> maybe people didn't realize. I loved that when I saw what it was. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, that's very good. Um, yeah, Leeds. Oh, it's, it, you know, hell of a fun place to go out as well. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything more than that. <laughs> well, it's- Mate, you'll see a po- live podcast, you'll see the inside no. of the walkabout, and then you'll see a National Express coach home. That's what you're going to see. So, <laughs> we'll well, see. I, I, yeah, pretty much. Thank God, and that's probably for the best for everyone. But, but yeah, no, really looking forward to it. It's as we were saying on the pre-show as well and on the video um, before with the announcement. If you haven't seen the Dickie Bird video for it as well, it's like, thank you so much, Dickie. That's like incredible work yet again. Um, yeah, like really good. So yeah, very excited about it. Getting to meet up with a load of uh, load of people as well. Martin was giving us like positive stats on, on COVID. So yeah, surely that's over with. Let's just, it leads. You know. just leads. Just leads. Just leads. Just leads. It's a safe I don't, zone. I don't, I'm not a scientist, mate. That's what they're saying. All right? Leads is cured. Uh, there you go, everyone. What a great advert for the, uh, the live, uh, live Dirty leads no more. <laughs> oh, but anyway, otherwise, how have you been, Alan? You've been uh, been getting your, your list together for this one, mate? Was it was it a hard job this year? Like, how would you, uh, you compare it to, uh, to years past? Um... I, I don't know. It came together quite nicely for me this year. Um, yeah, it was. It, I didn't have it. It felt like the ten that I ended up picking was pretty clearly the ten. There, I didn't feel bad about any of the cuts I made. Um, and throughout the top ten, there was probably some that I was like, "Oh, with this around the top three, kind of there was a bit of competition, kind of." But yeah, it was. Once I gave it a bit of thought, it was like, "Yeah, that's that's clearly." clearly the one that goes ahead here and stuff like that so it was, it was pretty easy um mm-hmm. definitely uh getting to um get everything watched in, 
in in time for doing this was was tough. I had left a lot more stardom um, than I had realized uh, still to to watch, but I got through almost all of it in the last uh, couple of weeks. So it's uh, yeah, I, I I'd say I'm pretty comprehensive. I'm probably um, some of the New Japan stuff maybe that um, I know got big reviews. Just mm. I, I knew wouldn't be to my taste so there was maybe a few obvious exceptions of of new japan matches from my list but it's just it is what it is if you can't get into the product and you can't get into the match there's mm. no point saying it's a top 10 match um at least that's mm. that's how i feel with the, the current new japan yeah I, but i, I do have some new japan you have mm. some new japan in there yeah i kind of set up a bit of a rule for myself this year where it was like mm. listen if like if i can't fucking remember at the minute of the match especially a match i apparently gave 4.25 or four and a half stars on the grapple app it gets dq'd like that was i had to be i had to be you know you know vicious this year with that and yeah there were one or two where i gave a second chance and gave like a second watch but it is hard doing these because obviously you know we, we tried to let the the full years of, of data collect you know so we don't try and do it like you know 31st of december or 1st of january we give it a couple of weeks but then at that point there's been another wrestle kingdom so like the other wrestle kingdom from 2021 feels like a billion years ago doesn't it and like you know there is you know as always you know there's always a cluster of matches even in clap crowd new japan that you know i've got a case for being in the top 10 but i don't know if you two lads felt the same i feel like begrudgingly included you know fair amount of, of new japan at least in my, my consideration but you know i didn't feel as passionate about it as i as i did uh previous years where it was it was an obvious okay that you know for the, the january 4th headline match of course that's in my top two you know what i mean it was more of a more of a struggle for me this year yeah i think so i think the the kind of disillusionment with new japan which kind of grew over the years um kind of it, it was it was a really funny thing i did what you did which was sticking to the rule of did i do i remember this what is the thing that sticks out from this and there's just all these matches and it's kind of ultimately my cowardice with four and a half stars making mm-hmm. me thinking oh god i can't delineate between any number of these and there'd be like two or three matches and on the same combination so like, i can't remember any of these like mm-hmm. they were that good that there was a thing I tried to do this year, which is, uh, it's a difficult thing. It wasn't just based on like how good the match was in that moment in time. It was, what did it have the longevity? Did it stick with me? Um, and also like looking for little things around uniqueness, mm-hmm. things that made it that little bit different. So it just didn't, wasn't like kind of, we always, I was bringing like the film analogy, watching like a really good action film. And you go, okay, so I've seen this really good. You see like a stream of them. You want the one that's doing something slightly different, even if it doesn't make it perfect. So it, it's it's a funny choice because there's some on here, one of which you kind of remind me on and then ended up re-watching and kind of throwing in there at the last minute oh. because it offered something different. Yeah, mm. yeah, we'll, 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 I say we'll come on to it. I think we'll come on to it right at the very end uh, mm. of yours. But I think that like, there's one that you mentioned. I was like, oh yeah. And, and that's the thing is there's so there's like it's it's a difficult year this year because it feels like a much more of an and even you know we would normally be thinking a, a new japan match would be number 1 that normally would be the case here between all four of us it could be four different promotions and I wouldn't be that shocked I think your your um I think your rule was a saving grace, Benno. It was something that I definitely applied. As soon as you said those words, I was like, do you know what? That is like, that, that, that's a rule to sort of go into this, especially when there's so much to watch back because I was the same as you. 
matches there for New Japan that were like 4.25 star matches and I literally couldn't have told you a single thing about them. I had no clue on the finish. I couldn't recall any spots and things. And I'm like, well, how can they be on your match of the year list if there's nothing about it that tells you like level of attention there? So there's stuff there that might have been good that I might have enjoyed at the time that I just haven't even gone back and watched because I've kind of like applied that, you know, applied that principle as well, really. But um, I think for me, it was reasonably tight. I think I sort of had about 12 matches really that I wanted to include in there. So normally I feel like I've got an absolute ton of kind of neely men, whereas I think I was quite decided on the majority of my list. It was just ordering it this year for me because Mm -hmm. I think there was something where there was a lot that just felt like they were pretty like on a parity really in terms of like my level of enjoyment or how good they were and things. So it's just been, there's been lots of shuffling of this list going on right up until seconds before we hit record tonight. Mm. Same. I think one of the things I talked about last year was just with it being such a weird year last year with COVID and everything that I was trying to just kind of go with feel and gut a bit more than like back in previous years like what all the way back to like 2006 when I'd be like just almost just gone into so much detail in terms of comparing matches and like having a list of like 15 four and a quarter star matches and be like ranking them out even if none of them are even going to be my close to my top 10 and going purely based on kind of what I think a great match is um whereas like last year it was just more like do I have fond memories of this one? Is there a thing that makes this stick out? Because it was just such a weird year that anything you could kind of latch onto, I thought, kind of was was good. And this year was probably somewhere in between the two. I don't think I've gone all the way back kind of to how I was in terms of ranking matches at the end of the year. But there's um, there's still an element of kind of what I what I went with last year. I think to my list. I'm like that. I'm literally shuffling around on a Word document right now. My number 10 and my number 11, but going to have to uh, pull the trigger at it at some point. So, I mean, that tells mm-hmm. you at least it's a competitive year. I think, yeah, you know, you know, last year was, like you said, there on especially, especially tough. This year, it's kind of been a year of two halves as far as like pandemic era stuff. You know, we've got plenty of matches we can judge in front of, you know, good live crowds, plen- still plenty of like crap card matches, which makes it a, a weird mix, but yeah, definitely feel a bit more positive um, about the matches I've, uh, I've got in my list the this other, year. But, mm. The other thing that's really strange, or not strange, but that's kind of new to factor into things is um, having AEW around, where it's still such a young company, we're still kind of, like for years, like we had like a seven, eight year period where it was just comparing New Japan matches and it was like comparing apples to apples, you know, and there was like the indie scene was was what it was and it evolved over time, but it was, you were comparing similar things year on year, whereas AW and their pay-per-view matches, their big TV matches, like the big Danielson matches and stuff, we have to kind of mentally figure out what to do with those um it's still they're still kind of a relatively new thing and so i think looking at my list and seeing where those matches have landed and how they've kind of taken uh, obviously they had a big advantage with getting the the crowds back and stuff i'd love to see if we could get some great japanese stuff again without clap crowds in maybe the second half of this year It'd be interesting to see how that compares to best AEW stuff. If maybe AEW won't fare as well um, for 2022 
if you get a lot more really great stuff out of Japan with better atmospheres. Yeah, I think we definitely saw that, didn't we? In our year end awards, lads, we did that. So, year end awards behind the uh, the Patreon and spoilers. There was a lot of AW in there, and you know, I think there are more spoilers. There's quite a few. Uh, I imagine AW matches in my list that added you guys' list as well, which wasn't a guaranteed thing. You know, in years past, I remember that first year JP when like I think we all had like Cody and Dustin in our top ten, and then nothing else. And obviously, you know, last year we had uh, we had uh, a few more, but. I don't know. Thank God. All I say is a spoiler for my list is thank God for Brian Danielson, CM Punk, and Eddie Kingston, because uh, I do think yeah, there's definitely been an uptick as far as like the top end um, stuff in AEW goes this year. So yeah, it does get, make, makes things a bit more interesting, doesn't it? Like like Alan says there, on that just yeah. being New Japan heavy, you've got a bit of that. You know, I was saying in the pre-show, JP, do me homework, watch a bit of Stardom today, bit of Noah today, bit of Aussie Graps, you know? There's, yeah. uh, there's some things floating around, so it, it's lad. not as uh, one-dimensional as a list as, uh, as you may be led to believe. Well, that's it. I mean, looking at my list, I mean, again, when we're going into it, it's a real like kind of mix and match of various different kind of promotions that are represented there. Um, because if you're thinking of the top end stuff from Stardom and Noah in, in particular, that's up there rivaling the best of it. And I think maybe it's just me, but the Noah main events are like stuff that works much better in the clap crowd era than a lot of the new Japan stuff. And I think it's a stylistic choice as much as anything. I think it just the nature of them and then the hard hitting affairs kind of make them up there. And in some ways I found particularly as a year where I was just kind of getting into stardom that actually having some of the clap, like clap crowd stuff there almost made it slightly easier to get into kind of gave it much more of a kind of, I don't know, like a kind of really like serious feel. So yeah, matches feel more like fights, like the Noah yeah. matches than the New, New Japan matches. Like Stardom is as a, the main event Stardom working style is way more like Noah mm. than it is like New Japan, even though it's owned by New Japan people. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? And it, and I think it's those are the things. Those fights are the things that work. They're the things that work during the clap crowd era um, in Japan, like Japan, and it's definitely the stuff. Like the, I mean, I remember they did the. Was it the, the, the cage match between Kitamiya and um, Nakajima? That was in front of no fans, um, and it it worked completely. Worked. It's the presentation of it as much as anything else. So, I think those are the things that's there. But I think it makes overall when we're seeing everybody's top ten lists and and it going around, it just makes for kind of not having the big consensus picks mm. because even. And this is the funny thing, we're going to come on to it. There, there are matches that I've rated higher than some of them that are in this top 10 that aren't in the top 10. Because I, but I don't go back and like just change the rating for the sake of it. I've just gone, this match hasn't stuck with me. And I'm sure it's wrestled, te- it's technically brilliant. Yeah. And it's got all the big kind of dramatic pauses, but it's not there. It's not sticking in my head. And if that's the case, then how great is something? Because if someone went up to you, that, that was a great film I watched. Oh, what happened in it? I don't remember. You'd be like, well, how great is it then? No, you know, you're not really going to take the take their word for it. So I think, you know, I'm looking forward to our lists because I think they're just going to be. I I don't think there's going to be like there'll be similar matches across it, but I think the yeah. ordering of it feels like an absolute lottery. I could have something at number ten that's number one in in your list, or you know, and vice versa. Yeah, you know, God bless. We're encouraging the conversation. 
Conference. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here Never for, did. you know. It's the same with, like, you know, our list. a lot of this format is stolen from the, uh, the, the film cast. It used to be the Slash film cast. And they'll always say it with films, you know. Take it as, you know, it is, you know, our top 10 favourites. Slash best, you know. However, your mileage may vary on, you know, favourite versus best. But more than anything, you know, take it as, a, a you know, recommendations. You know, I'm sure there'll be stuff in Alan's list. There'll be recommendations for stuff. And I'm sure there'll be uh, stuff that, you know, JP's watched from uh, wide corners of the world that people might not have seen. And I know, I know, Gareth, you've got a couple of uh, of ones you wanted to uh, to get into your turn as well. So take it as that, you know, recommendations and yeah, things to uh, homework to uh, to go and watch and anything you've missed. And mm. as we uh, said at the top as well, uh, Gareth, the, uh, the Grapple 100 will be out later this year as well. Later this week, sorry, as well, weren't it? With, uh, with uh, more recommendations. So that was a slip. <laughs> June, I think you're right. It could easily be later this year. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm aiming for the end of this week, but um, but you never know. Could be later this year. Give us a knock around. Give us a knock. Getting getting out the Hall of Fame like six months after people put their ballots in. Or the <laughs> awards, the 2021 awards that we'll probably see next November. Oh. I had such good intentions as well to start doing it over Christmas, but hey ho, we're here. Uh-huh. <laughs> we got your podcast in every two days, mate. So uh, it's uh, it's all well, uh, <laughs> down in the kitchen. I spent, stuff, you know, I spent the uh, spent the week watching William Regal matches instead of doing <laughs> that. So. <laughs> Sorry again, uh, but anyway, to, let's talk about some matches that are higher than an average of three point one stars, and talk about our top ten matches of the year for twenty twenty one. Alan, you are the guest, so we'll let you uh, go first, and we'll count down in this first part of the podcast. Matches ten through six, we'll be uh, jumping in with some picks of uh, friends of the podcast as well. But Alan, floor is yours, number ten for twenty twenty one. Let's go. All right. Well, I'm going to start with. Uh... You know, number ten, you got to go with with a match that's a real personal fave. I think it's always gonna edge out. Like if you're looking at something for the ten spot, and you have a match that like you know is really good, but you don't have a fondness for it, versus another one that you just have that bit of fondness for, you're gonna want to get that one in. So number ten is usually a personal fave on on these lists, and I think this is gonna be a personal fave for pretty much everyone, both on this show and listening. But it might not be something that everyone considers for a top ten for the year. And that's CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. Um, shorter yeah. matches. It's only 10 minutes or so, but uh, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. So the way they got, the way they capitalized on the story they had told going into that match during the match, and it absolutely should have, I hope someday go back to down the line, but it certainly should have carried on after that because they had so much momentum. But for the night itself, they pulls so much out of that story they've been weaving and it just it felt like an epic memorable um incredible 10 to 12 minutes of wrestling when you factor in entrances pre-match video everything the whole package was just sublime and the, the work the character work the execution like like that's one of the things like Benno, you know, you've watched the old CM Punk's shoot interviews where he was ragging on fans, calling them sloppy. And uh, <laughs> um, he's, he used to have that reputation. And that's one yeah. thing we've seen since Punk came back. I, I put it down to, and it's not something I would have considered, but I put it down to his um, mixed martial arts training and the different things he did while he was off. I think it probably made him a better athlete. Um, He's he's looked so much better execution wise in AEW than 
any point in his career. And obviously that's experience as well. But you'd think you'd think it would go the opposite way after seven years off, that you'd have that ring rust that would override things. But no, this this guy, like he is as crisp as ever, and every every spot, everything in this match looked brilliant. Kingston was Eddie Kingston took his game up so many levels in 2021. The matches he had with Miro, um, Danielson, and Punk uh, are head and shoulders, I would say, above really any match he had had in his career at that point. The Quackenbush match is amazing, but so much of that is emotion. And I think if you watch Eddie now, you can really see that he is, uh, again, like with Punk, a much crisper, more refined wrestler in, in what he does. And like obviously he doesn't have a refined style, but executing his style, he does it better. There's less holes in it, less things that maybe don't look great, which would sneak in from time to time in the past with him. But for him to have three matches, the likes of those that I listed, just that was him at a, a new level. And it wasn't just him being in there with, with Punk and, and Danielson. Like he was every bit the worker those guys were in those two matches and in the Miro match I mean I'm I'm not sold on Miro I love Miro he's great but I don't think we've seen Miro have a couple of banana peel matches in AEW and that could have easily been one of them with Kingston and it wasn't that was Miro's best match in AEW Miro had a not so great match with Danielson so that speaks to Eddie that he got a match of that level um, with Miro so um, yeah, I would uh, just going back to the punk, punk match. I think it was brilliant. I think it maybe had a couple more ma- minutes in it, but I didn't feel sure changed when it ended. I, f- I felt I had seen a belter yeah. of a match. Yeah, it had a couple more. As you, it had a couple more minutes in it, and as you said, it had a couple more months in it. Like it is, like one of the yeah. Mm. The fact that we move so swiftly on from that feud when the next pay per view is so far away, like it's such a. I just hope it's something they go back to one day. Um, it's a match we'll go back to later in this podcast. Uh, as a spoiler, in fact, much later in this podcast uh, for me personally. Um, but yeah, you know, echo your thoughts there. Just talking broad strokes about you know punk and. Yeah, you know, that was always the thing. I remember that quote, you know, they say I'm sloppy. Like, he loved, he loved, he loved battering, like, people with that in his live channel and in their, in shooting to music. Yeah, oh, they hated him, the, the Northeast, yeah. Like, but it was true to a point, you know, execution was never his thing. He wasn't the, you know, if anything, Punk was a, more of a, WWE style wrestler than he was, you know, the style of a lot of the wrestlers within Ring of Honor. He was a storyteller, you know, quote unquote, and, you know, the execution wasn't a strong point. It always made me laugh when he came to WWE, and then all of a sudden he was like, you know, presented as like this super worker MMA type, you know, and it was like, that's not really the punk I know, but okay, I'll go along with it. It was almost, him being the best in the world was almost a work, wasn't it? It was like, but I think he's down, you're right about the MMA training. I think that's changing. CM Punk's foundations are a backyarder mm. who wrestled with a ton of grizzled Southern guys and deathmatch guys in IWA Mid-South who watched a load of like Kenta and Marafuji and wanted to try their stuff and then worked with a load of in- inexperienced indie guys in the mid 2000s for the most part. Like it's not the foundations of, you know, someone coming through a, like at least Samoa Joe had his time in the dojo system in zero one mm. and the LA dojo and like, and Danielson had his um, 
uh, honed his style over in, in the camps as well as LA Dojo and New Japan. Like Punk never really had that stable footing. It was a mixed bag of a lot of kind of wild things. And I think that kind of meant, and, and just not being the best of athletes to begin with, mm. I think that kind of made for uh, him kind of, as you said, being that, that bit sloppier. But I, I never really, like, I never saw it as a big weakness for him because he made up for it in so many other ways. And now that he's, he's improved on that, it's like, it's I'm always so eager to see this guy wrestle on AEW now. It's it's a treat every time because you just kind of want to see, okay, what does he do here? And um, yeah. He's thinking a lot about his stuff as well, which is great. Yeah, and I'm with you on um, Kingston as well. Like you know, that's the other thing. Like I think the, the the easy way to put it was, you know, Kingston was a great, not a similar because this is a punk, great promo, great character. You know, did he have the matches kind of thing? And you know, where James he would push back and always say, oh, he's got. You know, as far as like the little things Kingston does, you know, he he, he always kind of had them in his locker. Was but this is the most complete thing. thing. He, yeah, he wasn't always consistent. Like, I've seen plenty of bad Eddie Kingston matches where you could just tell his head wasn't in it. And Remember like, that team of homicides in ROH? Terrible. They both look like yeah, they were on death's like, door. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, we know probably what the reasons were. Like, Eddie's talked about openly about all kinds of things that would have been going through his head and going through his body during um, different periods of his career or who he was fighting with backstage or what. There's a million reasons why Eddie Kingston might go out there and, like, um, uh, the it's the uh, the AIW guys on on their podcast back a couple of years ago coined the term um, Gear Eddie and Basketball Shorts Eddie. And if you got Gear Eddie, you knew he was tuned in. If you got Eddie and Basketball Shorts, you knew he was just it wasn't going to be a good night. Mm. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, on that match, I imagine um, you two might be, well be the same. But I'll have more to say later. I expect I know you have JP as well. Uh, well, just to spoil it, it's my number 10. Oh, there we go. You can jump in next. <laughs> just to throw it in. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, very, very quickly. Um, I'll make it easy on myself. Move, uh, move everyone around. So there yeah, you go. Got reiterate. Well, I reiterate a lot of Wait. the points that Alan said and completely agree. I think the 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 things I loved uh, just about it, like it was the fact that it was different and it was you who remind me of it. And I just sort of went back and watched it quickly tonight and I've been umming and ahhing over the number 10 slot and I went... I was, I, I was, because when I went back to it, mm. I think the beauty of it was kind of the brevity when we could go through lots of the lists that we have on here. And I think that was something that just kind of felt so appreciated. Although the horrific thing is when I look back at my notes on it, I said, there's more to come. Mm. And I was like, I, <laughs> I fucking hope so. I really hope there is. And, you know, it's kind of the thing where you thought there was, you know, they could have got another easy two months out of this and still had more in the tank to go down the road with um, at a later date. But yeah, um, I kind of think of Eddie Kingston of like the role he was born was of the locker room veteran in that kind of a, in a company like this. And he's now found himself in that role. And as a result, you can kind of see it in the work, but they're, they're just the little things in the match, the start, like the, um, the, the, the back fist, just fucking awesome. Completely got the crowd into it as well. Um, the smearing of the blood. I've written down on it the wanking bit. Like, <laughs> I still got a good chuckle out of that. Mm. And it was it was just like a proper... It, it, it was just like a, a, a proper brawl. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
I've really, really, really enjoyed this thing. At the time, I gave it four four point two five, and there's matches that I've rated higher that I haven't included in the list. But I'd have this there because this is one of those things where, like, I just kind of had assumed to myself in my head when putting the list together that it shouldn't be there, that it was the start of something. But then you go back to it, you kind of go, well, this is like a perfect example of like American wrestling in its like purest form to a certain degree. So, yeah, uh, it's my number 10 as well. I know you'll have more to say about it later on. Yeah. Um, Gareth, is it your number 10 or is it something else? It's not, and this is this is one that was one that I just didn't manage to just squeeze in for a rewatch, and I'm just like listening and thinking like how much I enjoyed it at the time, and thinking oh, I should have if I'd rewatched that, would it have squeezed its way into my top ten? It's it's in there as like my number eleven or twelve on the uh, on the list. Um, um, currently just falling out of there, but my uh, my number ten, sort of following the trend of just putting something in there that. Um, you just feel like you you need to to include it's um, from St Patrick's Day Slam on AW Dynamite. It's Thunder Rosa against Britt Baker in that uh, no DQ match, which was something that I just absolutely um, I absolutely love. I just I, I feel like it was a match that just really kind of you know set the tone really for. Um, AEW women's wrestling. Um, I think at that that was a point where you know they'd been getting a lot of criticism for their women's wrestling up to that point, and um, I think it was one that they just sort of put the put it on the map. Um, I think it's one where AEW women's wrestling got taken a bit more seriously after that point, and um, you know just as a as a as a match, um, I think it's one whereby. Um, Sorry, as a, as a match, I think it's one where there's just a, a lot going in there that they just like packed into that 15 minutes. I mean, you know that I'm not like a deathmatch guy. You know that I'm not somebody who's, you know, going to get a um, get a lot out of um, all that kind of thing where you've just got, you know, a lot of, um, you know, shenanigans going on on the outside, weapons been used and things like things like that. Whereas um, for, for me, that, that particular match, it was one that it just all clicked and it just seemed to work in, in a way that it just felt a bit different and it just set the tone a bit differently. And it was one where there, there was a level of aggressiveness involved and there was a level of kind of like hatred and needle in there that it didn't seem kind of formulaic and it didn't seem um, like almost like performative in a way of like, oh, he's some weapons, you just use a weapon, now I'll use a weapon and, and, and things like that. It seemed like they were genuinely out there just trying to to kill each other. And I think for, for this type of match where you've got that that type of thing involved, you know, it's always going to be something which, uh, which uh, you yeah. know, builds it up. There was, there was some great spots in there. Like for me, there was a bit with like um, – you know the curb stop on the curb stomp on the steps by Brit busting Thunder Rosa open quite early on. There was you know there was a bit where Brit had like Rosa in a cravat and she's like near in the head. There was the big suplex from Brit onto the bed of chairs, which looked absolutely brutal. There was Rosa you know drop kicking the ladder into Brit's face, which which bust her open as well. And obviously like one of the big takeouts from this match is just that great visual really of of Brit looking down the camera with the crimson mask and you know you talk about things that are memorable for the uh Brit Baker staring down the camera with blood dripping down her face is something that's you know massively memorable um from 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 that point and um yeah for for me it's just uh just one of those that you know 
if you think of things that left a mark on you this year, this is definitely one of the things that left a mark on me. Yeah, like I say, that, that visual, you know, is something that AEW will use for years, you know, and especially to tell WWE to fuck off with uh, with some of their comments this uh, this past week. But yeah, you know, it, it didn't quite make my list, but it was definitely one I considered. Um, you know, a little bit sloppy mm-hmm. in parts, but that's fine. You know, when it when it's a I suppose a heated kind of match like that where it does feel like you know they are like you said they're gareth out there to to kill each other it's you know almost uh almost adds to the match i remember uh thinking that at the time when it when it first came out as like yeah that little element of maybe extra danger i think kind of helps and yeah it was one where i think it may be part of it you know it happening so long ago in the year like it almost felt like it didn't happen, you know, in this last year, so it didn't really enter my consideration. I mean, I don't know. Alan, JP, was it one that, uh, that came up for you guys? It was close. Um, but how I ended up, I suppose, ultimately, like you, it kind of felt like it was a long way away, but it's one of the ones I rewatched and, like, again, really enjoyed it. It's, it's not really my genre, per se. I think the match itself had, like, what it ended up doing... I mean, part of the problem is it's also slightly tainted by the like kind of uninspiring Brit by Brit Baker run, particularly for the second half of this year, and going into this year, if we're going to be honest, going back to even to last week. So, I, I but I think it's like incredibly important. They're the best like combination they have in terms of Thunder Road. Well, you could argue Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida, but um, definitely like the the things it did like for for their careers and that image of Britt Baker is kind of iconic isn't it mm. at that point and and it did a hell of a lot for her so yeah good things about it if you haven't I mean I imagine for a lot of people it'll actually be quite close and then certainly in the top five for lots and lots of people and I can completely see why I think that match was um, a kind of period of, of spring AEW and then that, that match really stands out as kind of being the period that like fully transitioned me back into being an every week hyped up for dynamite AEW viewer because like with the pandemic I kind of eased off a bit particularly sort of June to September of 2020 um, and then going into like that original winter is coming I was getting back into it a bit more and but then I would kind of like I'd miss a week here or there I wasn't fully invested in the product but I definitely remember that match and that main event and feeling like I'm just 100% back here on this now. It just It felt like they had made such a big star with Brit. And even though I, I agree with JP that maybe they haven't done great things with her since and it's it's not been kind of what we might have wanted from her, her title run and stuff, I still think it's really impressive how much of a star they've made her. And I think she's at the position where, and the level of overness where if they just do start doing some good stuff with her, it'll just be like flip for coin or uh, flip the switch and it'll be off to the races like because they've got her over that much. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it was a really successful outing. I think Tundra Rosa has, they very clearly respect her a lot. And if you remember... When they did that match, she didn't have a contract. She was still tied up with NWA and all that kind of stuff. So um, they, like, she has may- maybe not gotten the opportunities that we'd want, but she's definitely 
her career has advanced by having that performance. Yeah. And I think they're going to start giving her, they've got the Mercedes Martinez thing going now. I think they really trust her as one of the best people on that women's roster. And I think we'll, we'll see her in more key situations. And ultimately I think we will see a title run with her. I think they value her that much that she will end up as a champion. It was, it was a tremendous match. It was just a tremendous character performance from both. They just both put so much on the line in it. Do you guys actually remember that this wasn't a live match? Oh, was it taped or then? Uh, it was taped. And uh, I think I'll give them credit for because we've seen some kind of dodgy post-production AEW thing. Last week's Rampage for, for one sticks out. But um, that was, in terms of a, post, a job they'd done on post-production, I thought one of the best ones they've done. Mm. The whole presentation was brilliant. The camera work, the commentary, everything was was top notch. And that was at a point where they were doing mammoth taping still in in Jacksonville. And um, I, I think it speaks to how much they knew they had something special with that match that they wanted to make sure they presented it as well as they possibly could a, a week later on TV. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not guaranteed either with them, is it? That like in post production they won't fuck with it too much. You know, they've got got a bad habit on these tape rampages of turning the crowd audio or messing around with the commentary where Excalibur sounds like he's been on a on a night out on the piss, and it could yeah, the commentary's quite clearly been edited in. They can't help themselves, but yeah, I remember this is a live match. I think that says it all. Yeah, I think as well. One of the things that people forget is that. Britt Baker lost as well, you know, yeah. when you like come yeah. to the end of the match, you know, like Rosa obviously beat you with that fire thunder driver, you know, through the table on the outside. And but because it was like that star making moment for for Britt Baker with the visual and showing that she could go out there and work in that style that was like surprising to so many people and you know the the punishment that was involved in in, in that match as well. Like it was, you know, you kind of almost think of that as Britt Baker's match, but yeah, <laughs> she lost. Who thought you can uh, make someone lose a match and uh, get them over? Well, Steve, uh, Steve Austin never got over after WrestleMania 13. <laughs> See, the problem is that we learn that lesson the wrong way, don't they? And go, oh, well, we'll just put everyone like that, they'd all get over, you know? We learn from Daniel Bryan the wrong thing. But no, I mean, it, you know, yeah, it's solidified Brit as the face of the division. Thunder Rose has got a contract out of it, and, you know, she could be utilised uh, a lot more too, but... Yeah, definitely an important point in the uh, in the year of AEW. But yeah, moving over to my number ten, and it's a it's not the same match, but it's a similar story to uh, to Alan's number ten and uh, and JP's number ten. For me, I've gone for a a little match from uh, from AEW Rampage, and it's uh, Brian Danielson against Eddie Kingston. Uh, two names that will come up uh, later on uh, in this list. Yes, remember when Rampage mattered? Um, that's the last another taped match, but back to back AEW matches. There. there you go. There says something. Yeah, um, but yeah, this one like. It's. I think it's lesser than the, the, the than the punk match, but I kind of almost love it all the same. You know, it, it's a, it's again a short match, but they go out there and they just they have a, they just have a fucking war. That's what it is. It's it's two two lads going out there and beating the shit out of each other. It's not like it's a sophisticated story, other than the fact that you know linked to the punk stuff, which kicked off after this match. You know, Eddie's got something to prove. It was in that title uh, eliminator tournament, and you know he was trying to prove that he can win matches because that's the problem with Eddie Kingston AEW. He loses a lot of fucking matches, um, but it was just beautiful, beautiful violence, beating the shit out of each other. 
this was when Brian had only first got to AEW as well. So watching it back, it was, you know, just seeing how unbelievably, he's still unbelievably over now, but how unbelievably over he was in that, that first little period when he was going out there and just having a banger after banger on, on Rampage and, and Dynamite each week. But, you know, despite how over he was, and it's the same story for that punk match, which I'm sure I'll mention later, Eddie was almost more over. Like, Eddie was so over as a face in this match, to the point where they do kind of go back and forth a little bit as that, you know, who's the heel and who's the baby face in the, in the story of the match. But, no, it's a great match. Eddie looks amazing in defeat. Like, that visual, talk about visuals with Britt Baker, you know, that visual of him sticking the finger up uh, in the triangle choke to, to Brian is one of my, you know, favourite visuals uh, of the year from, from AEW this year. And it's just absolutely awesome and yeah two two of my favorite wrestlers this year um and just yeah a personal favorite of a match there i think at the time i was the high man on uh i went four and a half on the uh, on the grapple app i know the average is a little bit below that and it's not exactly uh scratching the uh, the top 10 but just as a personal favorite yeah fucking love this match and yeah had to include it in my time I know if you lump the post-match uh, into it as well, the, the mm. in-ring thing and then the backstage segment, does it become your number one? Uh, you, you put that right. and then you tie it into the punk match, you know, it's all kind of... That, yeah, that was, was, was the all time here of uh, Ben O'Night on oh, Twitter. You were freaking out. <laughs> I, was having, I think Rocky Romero got announced as well that week, did he? Or was it the week after? Um, it was, uh, yeah, big tone showing his... Uh, he was definitely on the message board, Money Allen. I'm certain of it. I'm, sh- I'm sure he was there. Oh, I'm sure he was. He was around everywhere. I think you you were in such good form after that match. If they had announced Ricky Reyes, you'd have you'd have been just as happy. <laughs> I'm always happy when Ricky Reyes gets a book him, mate. Always happy for him. Right? Still got a picture of me somewhere of him from that PWG Orpington show when he had his ROH hoodie on. No one else wanted the picture of Ricky Reyes. Benno did. Um, hero yes. two thousand four ROH, but yeah, it was it was like I say that and the fact that it you're right, it kicked off the punk feud. Just the fact that Kingston and Punk were going head to head in like a little battle backstage, just yeah, made me very happy. So, but great memories of it. Rewatched it today, and yeah, still made my list. Really great match, a fight. Um, but yeah, don't know if anyone else considered it or or thought of it. You know, year end. I didn't think it, it kind of fits into like the kind of general canon of how good those like like for me it's 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 better than the suzuki match but it's in that kind of realm of danielson matches when he's got to aw very like really good matches mm. and immediately in a row kind of there's so many of them in like such a, in a row. period where they're like yeah. suzuki one i think stands out for a lot of people which i think is why it's done well in the uh in the grapple 100 mm. but like yeah, for me this was this was the better match, but there was there was so much greatness in that. It's a bit like a G one when there's yeah. so much going on at once that like it is hard to kind of process it almost how how good the output it, is. It was like in my thinking for Danielson when we did the the grappies, like it was this kind of a match that stuck out for me for like the match of the year stuff because it was like going even the stuff that's kind of less heralded now and less kind of on that bigger stage, like in you know with that bigger like kind of um, profile to it. It's the reason why he's come in and basically based on what four months work, he's he's like wrestler of the year. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just you know going in there straight away. So yeah, I'm not surprised, especially yourself putting him in there. I just thought, yeah, that's that's very that's like a if if the number ten is the kind of like that emotional pick, like mm. you've got to have got to have something like that in there. That to stop myself. Yeah, I mean, it's one of honestly, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> one of them that I saw when I was like putting the Grapple 100 together like I was scrolling down the list just for looking things to, to re-watch and 
spoiler alert, it's number thirty-eight in the grapple uh, grapple oh, okay. one hundred. Okay, that one. So it's you know you know it's up it's it's up what there reasonably uh, re- reasonably high, but um, but but still, you know, again, it's it, it it's one that you know still sort of falls out uh, out, out there for for me. You know, I'd personally, I probably would have put like the punk match ahead of it um, just for for my own enjoyment there. You know, I think this is one that probably would have been in that fifteen to twenty bracket bracket for me, all in all. But uh, it was certainly one that I saw, and then you know, just sort of had that flash reminder of it and thought, fucking hell, that was a good time watching that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's great. Just a perfect rampage match kicked off the show. Great fifteen minutes, and then right in slap promo, like Alan said. Yeah, almost missed those days of rampage now, but you know, it's still good. But anywho, uh, moving on. Uh, that's our that's our round of uh, number tens. Let's uh, move into the number nines. Uh, Alan, what's your number nine? Oh, I might just drop this one on uh, on you guys, and then just save it for later because I'm sure it's coming up later. Um, Brian Danielson and Hangman Page. Oh, winter shit. is coming. I've got it later. Does everyone else have it later? I have a little, yeah. little bit later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, just as a as a little uh, teaser Teaser-y. for the discussion later. Uh, yeah. Just as far as um, as far as uh, a match of this length can can go on, on TV, mm. like and you, you couldn't ask for couldn't ask for much more than than what we got. It was. Right up there with the best TV matches, especially TV draws of of all time. People comparing it to things like Steamboat Flare, uh, that Michael Cena match for those who were uh, sorry, not Steamboat Flare, um, Sting and Flare. Well, there was Steamboat Flare as well, um, but uh, um, yeah, uh, the Michael Cena match on Raw. Things like it's absolutely in the conversation with with those matches and um, just tremendous, tremendous work from both guys. Like we had seen. I love that G1 comparison uh, about Danielson's run in AEW, those, the early couple of months. I, I, I think it's brilliant. I'd never thought of it before. It's so funny how like he clearly wants to go over and do a G1 he's talked about. Yeah. He wasn't able to, so he just had his own little G1. <laughs> this, this Hangman match kind of coming at the back end of it, really both Hangman matches, kind of feels like his G1 finals weekend, you know, where you just take, you've been having these great four and a quarter, four and a half star, whatever matches, and then the final weekend you go and you hit match of the year kind of level with some epics and uh, that's what he did with both matches with, with Hangman. I actually prefer the second match, the the one um, from two weeks ago, I think it is mm-hmm. now. Um, I give that the nod over over this one. There's just certain things I, I preferred about it much in the same way, and it felt like uh, the third Punk and Joe match. How I kind of preferred that to um, the draws they had. It was just that Steve little bit grislier. It was just a little bit grislier. Uh, had the both matches like Punk and Joe's third match, and this had the blood. Um, and also the decisive finish, which mm. I just like. I love it. A good draw is a great storytelling thing, but ultimately getting that definitive finish is just it, that's just a better. I just enjoy that more, you know. So you get more out of it. So like that's one thing that kind of maybe is a reason why this match fell. Um, actually, I shouldn't say that because I've got a, I've got a draw significantly higher on my list. I was wondering. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah, like there is um, that match comes off. <laughs> Maybe it, not. It's uh, it, it was great. Like it being a draw isn't a big negative against it, and like it might feel like I'm doing it as a disservice having it at nine. But 
I really did love it. It's just, you know, I've eight matches that I love that a little bit more. Don't worry, I've got a controversial one coming as well. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll all uh, talk about uh, this match uh, a little bit uh, later on. Um, but yeah, before we get there, uh, JP, what's your number nine? My number nine is from Stardom. <laughs> and it's Julia versus Tam Nakano from All-Star Dream Cinderella. Only number and nine. Was Come number on, nine. Mate. Even after no, a higher than that. There's, there's another one, which I, I know, know that me and Alan are probably completely on the same wavelength on that 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 is that bit higher um but i was thinking like this this was the period of time when basically i started watching stardom like you know you were hearing these great things and i thought i do need to other than the other kind of sporadic matches i'm going to kind of go in and watch a card and i really enjoyed it as i've explained many times the aesthetics of it is not for me but when it actually the bell rings and we were talking about this with um with with alan before it becomes a fight it becomes like this kind of like real like kind of battle and this one had a real big match feel to it because it's hair versus hair which obviously has kind of you know doesn't mean fuck all in the uk or in the states but like you know in mexico and in japan it has that kind of extra level of meaning to it um and it it was a fight and it was hard hitting and it was nasty and there was no dead space to it at all. Um, you know, you got Julia delivering a pole driver through the table. You got Tam Nakano, who kind of would appear to be quite kind of cutesy. Um, she was in the um in the the Wrestle Kingdom match, you might you might remember, uh, if you if you haven't, if you can't think of who she is, but you know, tough as nails, fighting from underneath. Julie is a star and she's one of those people who you look at like you think if AEW or WWE as much star presence as anyone in the business right now. It's yeah. like insane. Like it is. I mean, she is going to be like wherever they go, if, as long as she stays healthy because she obviously had the bad injury this year and mm-hmm. quite, she's got a fairly slight frame, you know, like similar to Sasha Banks where you see like the punishment they take and it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be difficult to stay injury free yeah. because she can like oh my god she is such a stardom continues to grow and she's got the international thing going for her and that she can speak a lot of languages and she's I think she's born in the UK to mm. Italian at least one Italian parent. Yep, one Italian parent, yeah. Maybe one Japanese parent, but has spent most of her life in Japan, I think is, is her deal. Um, but yeah, she's an unbelievably big star. And and JP, yeah. this like I was the exact same as you going into this. I hadn't seen a ton of recent stardom. I had watched a lot of stardom during the Io Shirai years, but I'd had a gap of maybe two years there. And this was the show that I was like, oh, I'll kind of come back to it a little bit um, and see what it's like. And I wanted to watch a full card. And it was it was an amazing top to bottom card. And this was the main event. And it topped everything that happened to that point on the show. And I didn't think that was possible because A, the show had been so good. And B, I had a totally um, incorrect opinion of kind of what both Julia and Tam Nakano were as wrestlers. I thought Julia was like kind of, oh, she's got a look and they protect her and push her, but she's not much of a worker, was this totally misinformed idea I had of her. And Tam Nakano, which I believe was is her story, is that she was kind of originally like kind of like a comedic wrestler because they had brought her from like a 
one of the the pop star groups in in Japan. She was yeah. from that, and she wasn't much of a serious wrestler. But I guess she'd gradually become a more serious wrestler, and getting to this stage where she was main eventing was a really big deal. And then they just go in and batter each other, and the stuff looks incredible, and it's so intense. And I was like, yeah, these two are amazing. And um, in the stardom I continued to watch throughout the year, uh, they were definitely two of the standouts. Julie, even though she missed a lot of time, she still put in a hell of a shift for 2021. Oh, absolutely. Like, and this is the thing that you kind of see at some point, like particularly AEW making a play for her. There is so many things. And I think she's kind of crucial to stardom if they're thinking about expansion plans going into the future as well. And it feels like they're doing, they're going to do the thing with her and Shuri. So they've lost the, um, the tag belts. You know, there's new members of Donna Del Mundo who are like kind of from Ice Ribbon as well, where Julia's originally, uh, where she originally trained. So you've kind of got the storyline where Shuri might end up leaving Donna Del Mundo. And that kind of feels like where they will be possibly at the end of this year, if not kind of, again, still laying the seeds. But that feels like the direction that they're going to be going in. And like one of the other things, like I'd, I'd say about hair versus hair matches, generally, I'm not kind of I don't go particularly berserk about them but the way that they end up bonding over it so you got Tam Nakano kind of in tears and Julia going we've got to go through with it we've we agreed to do it and they kind of cut these promos and Stardom World it didn't have English commentary on it but it had subtitles so you're getting the entire context of this of this conversation as well and you got real like kind of tears and I noted at the time I think it's kind of because they know they killed it they absolutely nailed it and this was the thing that's kind of led me to stardom big shows being on. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. And to be honest, it's not like I felt shortchanged. There's a lot of the undercard stuff that you don't necessarily need to worry about, but top end stardom, it made me think like in the ring is as brutal as anywhere else. They, they've got a solid core of, let's say, 10 world-class workers. Yes. And then maybe five who are bubbling underneath who could get to that level. Um, you know, and they're all super young. It feels it feels like with stardom that what they've got at the moment, if you're thinking in terms of training, it feels like you always hear these stats. I'm probably going to get this massively wrong, get grief for it. But when they compare girls' schools and girls studying with girls as opposed to mixed schools, it feels like the boys come in and the kind of grades end up going slightly down. But what <laughs> happens is in their training facility, it just like it, they raise, everyone is raised a level. If you've trained elsewhere and you're going there, I think the intensity of the working there, one of the things you hope was when the world opens up is it's is it's kind of people are like obviously Westerners going into stardom, but if a Tony's Tony Storm can can like go back in it, I think being in that stardom system would help raise her game to some of the matches, someone like a Millie McKenzie. I think, you know, they're kind of the happiest. I don't want to make, you know, it's it's not all kind of sweetness and light in a dojo system, but I think there's an element where there's like a real camaraderie amongst people. And it's just to say that, you know, we talk about New Japan needing the Gaijin, needing the Gaijin. Here's a company that didn't have the Gaijin either. And do you know what? They did fine. We'll, we'll talk about that, I'm no doubt, with Noah. So it's like, it's like well, you know, it, you can use your homegrown stars to do something and, and they're all young. They're all like freakishly young. It's very much like you're getting an Ajax 95 vibe from them. 
Who did you call the Clarence Sadorf on my show, JP? Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, I was trying to think, is it Mayu Itani? Might have been. I can't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> JP full into his Ajax comparison with it's like it's funny because like Shuri is like one of their best workers now and it's like she's maybe 30 31 maybe even younger and like feels like she's ancient compared to some of the other people on the roster um but uh I was I was thinking Cliver (laughs) no because Cliver was young Cliver was young then wasn't he like kid Clive Rizutami Hayashishita. Yeah. They got 10 times yeah. fast. <laughs> she would have been Van Basten back in the day. Or call it level. <laughs> like that fucking level. We're talking Dutch football at like top, top end. I'm afraid Van Basten had had his injury by the time I got into football, JP. I just, mm. I, older, when we played football with oh. older brothers, they'd like shout Van Basten when they'd go for a volley and I never knew what it meant. Oh. <laughs> That goal in 88 seared into... Oh. Do you know what? They should have been there. Vim Keith was well offside when he scored against... <laughs> and I swear to Christ, we'd have won that fucking tournament. No cunting team could live with us. Oh, amazing. <laughs> this is why we have Alan on the podcast. He last year, people like... It was like having the editor of the Karanga on the Smash Hate podcast. No. Alan's one of them. It works. <laughs> I forgot about that. Where else do you get this analysis? Nowhere. That's where. That's where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so that will be the last of the uh, the, the stars and uh, love. I'm sure there'll be uh, there'll be more later in the podcast. But uh, Gareth, what's your what's your number nine? My number nine's from Noah. It is from Great Voyage in Yokohama, and it is the only tag team match on my list. It is the aggression of Masakitamiya and Katsuhika Nakajima against Sagera Gun of Sakuraba and uh, Sagera. And this for me, it's sort of. You know, anyone who listened to this show. Best video yeah. of the year. The lads on the oh. roof. Oh, oh, ready to get ready playing. Hundred percent. I think anybody who um, listened to this show 12 months ago will have like seen my enthusiasm as I started on my modern day Noah journey last year and some of these matches that were just like uh, absolutely loving and this was one going into this year that was early on in the year and it just carried that on for for me and you know I think you know Alan's mentioned it there the pre-match video there where you've got um, the Congo lads in the red trackers playing darts absolutely fantastic (laughs) you've got uh, Sakira and Sakuraba on the roof tops sat on their sun lounges just uh having a drink absolutely amazing stuff uh just really like what a setup for this for this match but the match itself for me just really really delivered and you know i think while it was a tag team match and like while there were you know elements of it that were probably the Segura gun lads working as a team more and you know cheating a bit more and you know using their collective um working together to you know win the match whereas um nakajima and kitami were a bit more individual the match itself for me was just very much just about this um sagira kitami battle through throughout the match where uh like i think within that promo they alluded to it where kitami had said you know that the um sagira's taken the piss and things and then like sagira's got him in the corner and he's absolutely 
battering fuck out of him with forearms and elbows and you know the commentators are you know translating to it that he's saying like do I look like I'm taking the piss now as he's absolutely laying seven shades of shite into him like absolutely brilliant stuff and you know them two just continue to have this battle throughout there's a great spot where Segura is absolutely destroying him in the corner again with like forearms and elbows Kitamir does this big firing up spot where he's sort of like hulking up two or three times and then Segura just twats him again with a massive one and just drops him again in the corner just totally puts paid to his um his, his comeback which was like absolutely absolutely great match then turns when like Kitamir drops him knee first on the apron and you know injured Segura's knee which then opens the door for him to attack that stick the prison lock on him which gets broken up but then um again you know getting into um place to to put it on him again near the end and you know sitting there in the prison lock as Segura is trying to fight out leaning forward pulling him towards him and just lamping him with a massive fucking headbutt that just cuts Kitamir open the hard way as he does it and match just finished with a KO Ah, lovely stuff half an hour of pure joy this just watching two big bastards knock shit out of each other one of the best finishes of the year but uh the 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 nakajima sakuraba stuff as well we didn't get as much of it in that but there was some really cool exchanges was one the first time seeing them mix it up um do we do we know why it's called the prison lock by the way such a simple move which you would just think is like a rest hold, but executed in the way he executes it. It's just, it's so great. Does anyone have any guesses why it's called Prison Lock? Invented by Masa Saito, I, I assume in reference to his stint in a Minnesota prison. <laughs> throwing a boulder through a McDonald's. And ah, so it was him and Patera. Him and Patera yeah. throwing the yeah. boulder through the McDonald's, but Patera threw the rock. Because the McDonald's wasn't open. So he threw the rock through the window. The cops come. Patera starts fighting the cops. Poor Masa Saito. He was just wanting to go back to the hotel. But, you know, you got to look after brothers, got to look after brothers. And then the <laughs> wrestling in the early 80s or 70s or whatever it was. So Masa Saito was like, right, it's cunts fighting the cops. I guess I got to fight the cops too. Uh, he fights the cops. A female police officer gets seriously injured during the ruckus. So. If that the story is always if that didn't happen, the lads would have been grand. The police officers would be like, ah, couple of sound wrestlers, <laughs> understand you being a bit hungry, had a good fun. <laughs> it's all right, they would have left them off. But the female police officer got injured, and in the early 80s, that was like a big that would have been a big deal, you know. So um they had to serve some time and um the lads go to prison. Uh they go to basically like a, a minimum security kind of um work farm kind of place and Patera starts acting the bollocks and um, he gets shipped off to a high security facility Saito was keeping keeping his head down, minding his business, was able to stay in a nicer place and spends a couple of years there or whatever it was, by the end he's teaching Japanese to people, teaching Japanese cooking to people, he's running the farm kind of a thing, just being a totally productive, sound member of this uh, of this facility they were in, and uh, coming up with ways to uh, break a guy's leg with a really simple wrestling hold that he'd pass on to young Masa Kitamiya 20, 30 years later. 
Tremendous. Thank God Massacre Mia, you would have ended up like fucking Charles Bronson, the president who <laughs> followed Ken Patera's path, wouldn't he? Does this make does this make Nakajima the Ken Patera? Oh, do you know the Ken Patera? Got the curly yeah. <laughs> no, the Ken Patera now is fucking big in Amora with the tire because he's teaming yeah. with uh, he's teaming with uh Massacre to me now, so yeah. he's got the strongman gimmick. So he's Patera. So if you're out, if you're near a McDonald's and you see a Yoshiki and Amora rock up, be careful. Yeah, exactly. He's ready. He's ready to kick off. <laughs> <laughs> Again, where else are you getting this? That's why we'll come for our top <laughs> Oh, Ken Patera. Oh. Well, otherwise, just... Snooker gets away with a murder, but you can't push a female police officer. What's that about? Um, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I admire the adherence to the brother gimmick stuff, though. like decking <laughs> coppers. Not, yeah. I might calm him down. Like, not just like let's think. Like, well, I've got to, I've got to fight him. As you said, Alan, this cunt's fighting. I'm going to dive in, which is <laughs> not you, a line I expected it? to hear from you, to be honest. Would you deck a copper for me, JP? I'd like to think if you were off in an animal. Roid fueled rage. I would also say there's other places in McDonald's, and I have to remind you that you're a vegetarian. So like, it would just like the whole thing would just be like, mate, you're all right. Someone spiked your drink or something. You just got mental. So, like, I wouldn't be like, well, let's just get stuck into the Manchester Bobbies then to start. I'd like, say Leeds to be honest. Not. April third, you know, people want to see it in person. <laughs> they might get it there. <laughs> we'll sure see. a McPlant isn't that good. Almost <laughs> <laughs> trying one thing, you know. Uh, it'll be dead by then. <laughs> but yeah, did anyone else consider throwing that one in uh, other than uh, Gareth? Obviously, yeah, you mentioned there, Alan. I thought you might put it in just based on that video alone. That was a uh, a moment mm. of the year, and uh, definitely, definitely one of my favourite images we had in the Grapple Show images for twenty twenty one. I I did. It'd definitely be top twenty if I went that bit deeper for sure. I'm just looking at my list to see. I have one tag team match on my list, so it's probably my number two tag match of the year, I would say. It wasn't one that I considered, but it kind of, I think, again, I think of like the video, just at that point in time, like when, you know, so uninspired by New Japan and wanting to see something that is that different and, and isn't Western and like kind of Noah delivering product. It was the first real hint of the production value increase. Because it was just like this is this is better than New Japan, like at this point. And it, I think the culmination of it is the brilliant Nakajima Goshiyazaki package they did before on the on the New Year show, which just kind of like it was really different level stuff, like the kind of level of investment from a from a technical perspective. As a match, it was like really good fun. I think, and I think I, I said this with Alan when we were talking about um, uh, 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 before about. Um, how for for Noah them splitting up the aggression tag team we were quite upset about but it weirdly seems to have kind of worked itself to this place very recently so maybe Nassau wrong guy is brilliant but his obsession with 50 year old lads it needs to end needs to end now <laughs> apart from Segura and Sakuraba who are great if Mudo was just used in a more conservative way and they just got rid of Kendo Kashin entirely and Fujita yeah, Fujita. There's, uh, yeah, Fujita's. Uh, he's a prick. He's a prick yeah. um, but uh, Cashin is just what I like. And this guy's wrangled his way into the booking team as well. They need to, as as you said to Obari JP, get rid, 
Yeah. <laughs> We've got another Poundland Dick Togo stinking the fucking place up here, haven't we? In, in Kendo Cashin. I know Benno has, has fond memories of him from um, that Ring of Honor tournament. DVDs there somewhere. Best of the Super Juniors USA. Good God. Horrible yeah, memories. He stands for bastard. Yeah. He's apparently a lovely man. He got he, the, he was remember he was working in the performance center and got Oh yeah, remember that story, yeah. He was yeah. in the first group of cuts when the pandemic happened. Um and everyone was like, Oh, he was really lovely and uh yeah, it, everyone had really nice things to say about him from his time there. But Not according to Gabe's commentary in two thousand five. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always always stuck, struck me as a bit of a, a snaky cunt. There you go. Never liked him. <laughs> That spot should have been Brian's. History would have been different, but what are you going to do? <laughs> um, but yeah, moving on to uh, to my uh, number nine, and after this, we'll uh, we'll get some picks from uh, from friends of the uh, the podcast. Somebody remember, remind me to uh, to plug that after this. Um, but yeah, my number nine. It's the little matter of the Wrestle Kingdom main event: um, Kota Ibushi and uh, and Jay White. Um, yeah, didn't didn't kind of you know hugely expect to kind of you know I don't know talking about a, a Wrestle Kingdom main event this early um, in, the, in the podcast, but it is still one that I've got a lot of fondness for. I think, you know, people know the story on this podcast of uh, of Jay White, and, you know, Joe was obviously the very uh, negative Jay White one, and me and you, JP, were kind of we were along those lines, if maybe a bit more positive. You know, Steph maybe talked a, a little bit of sense into us as to, uh, as to the merits of, uh, of one Jay White. And I think slowly over time, we kind of, uh, you know, became a little bit more tolerant of him. And I think especially now in 2022, New Japan and seeing evil do knock off Jay White, we kind of realised, you know, actually Jay White was pretty good at this act. And watching this match back today... That is that was my takeaway. It was like, you know what, if Jay White was in all these evil spots, I think New Japan would be a much better company. And there's something about when he works Kota Ibushi that it, it just works. I mean, the negative of this match, and maybe the reason I've got it around number nine, is it's very fucking long. I think it's the longest mm-hmm. Wrestle Kingdom um, main event on record. It does feel like that at points, but you kind of forget that when it gets to the close and stretch. And it does kind of work because it is the Wrestle Kingdom main event. That's the thing, you know, and I don't always love, you know, the cheating of, you know, like you say, the Dick Togo evil stuff, but, you know, you're getting it with Jay White and Ghetto here, which is an upgrade, but it doesn't, even that doesn't always work for me, but it's really well-timed in this match, you know, as far as when they do it and when the cutoffs come and it kind of sells Ibushi's desperation to, you know, to win this, this epic match. And that's where I think the length kind of almost is a positive. And I do think, yeah, you know, if there is a time for epic, it is your Wrestle Kingdom main events. It is your, your WrestleMania main events of the world. That's when is the time to do it. And yeah, there's something about the chemistry of these two. I think Jay White's best work always comes with Kota Ibushi. I much prefer this. In fact, I definitely prefer this to any of the other Kota Ibushi matches from the actual title reign this year because none of them um, came in my consideration. Um, whereas this, yeah, you know, what's the back? Still great. Is it a Wrestle Kingdom main event that's challenging for one and two on my list? No. So you've got to consider that maybe a bit of a slight against it, but, you know, still a four and a half star match for me. Still a great match. And it made me miss Jay White. I think, yeah, New Japan's missed him this year. He was hot, you know, come the end of January and has just disappeared to uh, to New Japan Strong, you know, since about March time. So that's a bit of a shame too. But yeah, one that I really enjoyed on rewatch and shouldn't have to ask this Wrestle Kingdom main event, but did anyone else consider it? I didn't. I don't have it in there. I know it's done um, well on the grapple ratings, one, hasn't it? It's up there. 
I've got it as four and a half stars. And I was mm. I was looking back for my notes for it. I have to admit, I think the length of it kind of put me off on the rewatch. If I, I wasn't, understand if, if it didn't kind of do the the kind of memory test, but I but then when I kind of looked back on it, and I was thinking to myself, like like some of the notes that I'd made at the time about it being about it being too long, but there's so much kind of good in this. Um, it's a roller coaster. The way it kind of got. Yeah, and it gets very kind of reckless towards the end, and you see the frustration mm. in Jay White. And it is after this he cuts that amazing promo. Um, yeah. You've nailed that story, by the way. Like that—that that is a point. Sorry, I wanted to raise. Like that is mm. why it works as well, because Jay White's this cheating cunt, and then Ibushi knocks the fuck out of him in the light. And it's so cathartic to see. Like again, you know, the negatives of both wrestlers kind of work. Sorry, mm. JP. Oh no, 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 uh, and and so for this i've also written in my notes previously that ibushi is the obvious choice for a good run that worked out brilliantly um, <laughs> i think we all said because that. he had a very nondescript year because obviously is it you know we've got the whole double belt new world championship stuff like that and it's it's you know it, it, i i think those are the things that kind of soured my taste in it is what they've done with wrestle kingdom main events where the match themselves and almost the storyline are completely superseded by there's always like some convoluted way where more than one person is the number one contender. Basically it's, it's like those kind of things are the things that kind of put me off. Like I hate it about being a two day main event because it does take away the kind of focus. God, you're right. Isn't it? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Although his time and impact has been so nondescript (laughs) from there. And, uh, who was he wrestling in New in uh, New Japan in the US? Somebody uh, kind of came. Oh, Jay Jay Lethal. I was like, oh god, like get him into that main event scene in Japan as soon as you possibly can. They really could do with him. Mm. And there's obviously 2017. JP is thoroughly horrified by this entire prospect of you know 2018. JP, I should say. So yeah, <laughs> God. It runs um, close on the grapple one under, doesn't it? Uh, Garber doesn't quite make the top ten. Yeah, it's um, number twelve overall, I think. Yeah, number twelve overall. So just falling out there again. It's one of those that you know it probably be in my list. You know, maybe fifteen to twenty or something like that. Um, it was a match that I enjoyed at the ta- at, at, at the time. You know you know going back looking at notes and th- looking at ratings and things like that but i think it's one of those where it just didn't pass that memory test other than there. the jay white post-match stuff really for for me like if you'd said asked you know i was sitting looking in and i was thinking what can i have this was like the prime example match of what can i remember about this match and i've given it four and a half stars and i'm like <laughs> nothing i literally can remember nothing about it except the interview and then i'm like if that's the case then Fair. it shouldn't be in my it shouldn't be in my top 10 it's one of them where as well where i'm thinking like if this is a 40 minute plus match that i can't remember a fucking bean about and then i've got to go back and sit and watch 40 minutes of it to you know consider including it again it's uh you know it's it's it, it's clearly hasn't left a big enough mark on me for it to be um to be included fair enough um but yeah before we uh, we get on to uh, everyone's number eight as mentioned we've got uh, some clips here from uh, some friends of the show so we'll head to those now hello 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 oh Braden harrington here with davy portman hello hi how are you doing what's going on it's it's January 2022, but uh, 
we, we've been asked to still talk a little bit about 2021 and say what our favorite match of the year was. So, Braden, what was your favorite match of 2021? I mean, yeah, 2021 was just a great year in the world. Awesome year. On planet Earth. And it had fantastic wrestling. Yeah. It did. It had Forbidden Doors, had dream matches, rematches. It had a little bit of everything. There was a lot of good matches, like from beginning of the year all the way through. Uh, there was a few that definitely stick to mind. Um, I think Dragonov Walter 2. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that was pretty awesome. I think a lot of people loved that one, especially it was a rematch from their match the year before. But I think I have uh, I have a match that sticks in my head. Maybe I'm being selfish because I, I traveled to go to this match, but I'm going to pick uh, the dream match this year that I, I liked. Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson, Finally getting to see their fully evolved Pokemon forms fighting each other in a tennis stadium, which I didn't think would be that cool, but it actually was pretty sweet. Uh, It was just awesome. And then watching it back, still awesome. So yeah, definitely one of my favorite matches. Not, Not only that I've like you know, watch this year, but that I've got to see live just in general. You've seen it a few times now. As I've well. watched it a bunch. Yeah. I've watched it a bunch back. Yeah. I, I love both those wrestlers, but I just, it has a little special place in my heart. Yeah, there was some really good, other good matches there, but if you were there, you know, you wish you were there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that match too, um, but my, my kind of favorite match of the year was MJF versus Darby Allen from Full Gear. Yeah. Uh, just thought it was really good. Um, MJF, I think, I think both guys kind of really proved themselves and in that match and show that there's there's more to both of them than maybe we've thought before. And MJF, especially, just really coming out. I I love the the whole story of it, how it starts off as a classic wrestling match and MJF just constantly trying to break Derby. Then you got that crazy suicide dive taken out MJF as he's yelling at a fan, and then uh, all the crazy near pinfalls towards the end leading to that um the distraction with the skateboard and the the headlock takeover with the diamond ring oh. i just thought it was a, a perfectly done match and uh really enjoyed it and it makes me it's like promising to see what these guys can do moving forwards the four pillars the of four professional pillow, re- four pillows the four pillows pillows professional yeah. wrestling yeah those are some solid uh, i really liked kaz versus luke gallows as well oh yeah that's that a good one good one pretty as good well. underlooked honorable yeah. mention and any regal match as well I would william say. regal any william regal match right yeah year. yeah the, he didn't wrestle this year nah, but, but if he did it would have been a, a pretty show good stealer. yeah definitely um yeah we're, we're your friends from up next here and and you can listen to us every tuesday and wednesday night after nxt and aew i mean we had a great year because nxt fucking died it died so rest in peace so we really don't have anything to talk about so that's why we do bd elite we do we talking talk about, about dynamite aw every wednesday and then on our our patreon we cover all sorts classic nxt uh retro pay-per-views we go back and do uh like profiles called best match ever where we look at certain match stipulations or rivalries and and then just classic random movie reviews as well basically anything we like it's very like grapple yeah yeah it is shout out grapple yeah and shout out jp who has the smoothest voice in all of professional wrestling podcasting he does he really does i wouldn't say that if i didn't mean it Mm. so uh we love you grapple guys we love you and we love you grapple people listening to us right now at up next podcast
to follow us. Yeah. And if you probably hate us, give us your money. Yeah. Yeah. Or just fuck these guys. You <laughs> give us your money. <laughs> yeah. That's right. William Regal was a great man. <laughs> All right. That's All right. It. Goodbye. Take Love care. you. Thank you. Be safe. Bye. Ahoy. <laughs> <laughs>
different from the Young Bucks and Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega match, which I gave the match of the year for 2020, in that it didn't have the intricate storyline and all the investment of them being friends and family, but they just played off each other and have an unreal chemistry. Like they are, they are a match made in heaven for each other. There's Steamboat and Flair. There's Okada and Omega. And there's the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros. It was just insane. Spots going everywhere. Uh, violence, thumbtack shoes, blood, an insane Canadian destroyer off the top ropes. It's everything you would want in a steel cage tag team match. And it is the greatest steel cage tag team match of all time. So that is why the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros at All Out 2021 is my match of the year. You could check me out on the True Hill Heat YouTube channel every single Saturday, 11.05 a.m. Eastern Time with our flagship podcast. Check out Believe in Pro Wrestling podcast as well as Sports Keto Wrestling as well. This is SP3, signing off. Right, cheers to uh, those who've, uh, who've sent clips in, but let's move on to our number eights and uh, go around this round. And uh, Alan, what's your number eight? Kick us off. Hey, this might be another one that I just drop in, wait for it to come up again later, and that's... Uh... My number one tag match of the year, Bucks Lucha Brothers Cage. <laughs> the highlight of AEW's best pay-per-view ever, as far as a Young Bucks-style match, just as good as that kind of match gets, especially in their more hardcore style, which if you're a long-term PWG fan, you'll remember like the Super Smash Brothers um, a street fight, the, uh, the, the Guerrilla Warfare matches, um, various brawls that they had around Reseda. This was it done on a major pay-per-view stage. Now, a match like that will always kind of have a bit of a ceiling for me. This hit that ceiling. It's as good as it gets. But I think last year when we did the uh, when we did the top ten, I was probably uh, significantly higher on. Um, I think it actually was my number one last year. The the box versus Kenny and Hanma. Um, that more storytelling uh athletic kind not that this wasn't athletic it clearly was ray phoenix ran across the top of the cage to deliver a kick it was incredibly athletic but you know the more straight laced match for lack of a better for a better word um is more my cup of tea but um as far as a brawl and a young buck style brawl this as i said this was as good as it gets and it's the best lucha brothers performance ever you got the most out of Phoenix in terms of seeing the incredible jaw-dropping things he's capable of. You got the most out of Pentagon Jr.'s charisma um, at play um, and the blood and the drama. You had that real lucha element with, with, with that style of things, um, like the the big lucha mask match feel where the guys are just bleeding buckets and, and it's just, as I said, that drama, that was in there too. And you get the great moment, one of the best moments of the year of, of the Lucha Brothers winning the titles. Now, I know their title reign wasn't hugely impactful, but it was still a, a great moment when it happened and them uh, embracing their kids at the end, uh, covering their little girls in blood, which was uh, quite the uh, weird thing to see, but uh, um, to each their own. But um, yeah, it was, uh, it was still a, a nice moment seeing them kind of um, just, you know, have that because they've clearly worked so hard to get to that point. And um, before they were making any good money, they would have been putting in so much work in 
in Mexico and then around the Indies and coming over to Europe. Um, it, it, it was well-deserved for whatever you, you might think of them as a team and, and their style. But uh, I'm sure we'll, you guys will have more to say about it later. Do we? No. Yep, it's, it's I don't annoying that wrong. <laughs> I don't. It's not a either. Honestly, wow. like, it's, it's more of my style match than yours, Gareth. But like, yeah, I rewatched it today and... I don't know. Like, it's one of my favourite experiences of watching a match this year. Like, plug for the Leeds party. I watched it at a Hooked on Events party um, earlier this year and had a great time. There's a video of me, Steph, Anthony Gogo, and Mark Jerno in there as well, going crazy for the finish of this one. Having a great time live with a few beers. Loved it live. I wish I hadn't rewatched it. I think if I hadn't rewatched it and just gone on memory, it would have made my 10. As it stands, it's number eleven. Um, I just didn't enjoy it as much on rewatch. Um, that's it. You know, I'm not saying it was a bad match. Like I say, it's been number eleven, so it's as close as you can get, really. And it fell in and out as I kind of shuffled my list around. And I know it's you know higher when it comes to uh, to people other than us, but yeah, just something about it. It just didn't really connect on with me on the same level. You know, the the shenanigans with the boot and stuff didn't really work for me. On rewatch, there were some amazing spots. There's like, like you said there, Alan. You know, I mean, Phoenix is one of the the greatest in the world as far as like timing and how well he, how good he is at you know doing his stuff. And there are some great moments for him in there. And yeah, it is a it's a top eleven match for me, but it wasn't a top ten. And I think it was maybe the rewatch that nudged it out. But yeah, I, th- I think you were high on it at the time, weren't you, Gareth? When we first when we first uh, reviewed it, I can't remember now. Yeah, this is there's there's a couple of matches on here that have been like big fallers for me on rewatch, and this is like one of them. This it this is one here that it's just like flipped between that Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match where it's them two have been like ten and eleven kind of like flipping, and then mm-hmm. and then um, ultimately it's landed at like number eleven for me. But you know, again, it's it's not a bad match. Obviously, like you know, it's a it's a fucking you know it's you know yeah. it's number eleven on both our, yeah. our lists. You know, I just think for my you know personal tastes again on rewatch, there was a lot that just felt like shit's just happening because kind of thing. You know, it's just that big kind of ballsy Hollywood action movie, isn't it? Almost where there's just you know lots going on at a hundred mile an hour. That's you know fun and things like that. But I was just left feeling like uh, there wasn't so much to to get my teeth into or really just like um i don't know think about to to any further level i think you know alan touched upon it there maybe is the the lucha brothers run as well i think just yeah that Mm. with hindsight that coming in and that may that maybe like clouded the way the way i I felt stand aside of the fuckers now gareth like i'm with you on that in general (laughs) (laughs) i used to love them as well I just Pentagon turns off and be tell you now. I'm like, go home. Like, I've got a fucking figure off behind me. I've got a picture of me with them both. I love them. I can't stand oh, I just, I've really not enjoyed them this last year as champions. Oh, that and that fucking train, the, tra- the trainer with the drawing, the trainer with the drawing oh. pins on it, like, was just for me. I just didn't, I was just like, ah, oh. it wasn't, wasn't so uh, crash, crash hot on that either. Like, but still a fucking great match. Just uh, not as good as my other tag match that came last. He's been in your ear, Benno, when you've been sleeping at night. He's been just saying, they're a shite. They're a shite. <laughs> it might be yeah. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I just, I think that, yeah, they've, you know, I, I, I've always said they're greater than the sum of their parts. What I will say about this match, though, is this, you know, if your complaint about them is tag rules and, ah, oh, it's just spotty. Well, a cage match where it's tornado rules and it's the four of them, that's where you can get away with that. So, you that's, know, and even Jim Ross seemed to be having a good time watching it. So that's the uh, that's the defense of the match, I'd say, JP. Yeah. 
I've got it slightly later in the list. I mean, I won't need to go into to kind of in depth and I'll talk about it there, but that's kind of part of the reason why I, why I had it there was something that was that kind of change of pace. And then again, going on the kind of memorable stuff, it, it was there. And then, I mean, on, but it's not like it's, it's number one. Did you expect Did you to be a high man on the JP? I didn't at all. I yeah, really, I, I actually thought there was a good chance of me being the low man. It did also make me wonder, you know, we're thinking of what was match of the year um, in 2020, and it was the tag match from um, Revolution, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of the great tag matches of all time, I think, by common consensus. It doesn't make me think that tag wrestling has kind of not necessarily fallen away, but I think it's quite noticeable. I mean, how much tag wrestling is is in our list. I'm not imagining there's a whole lot else, and this is kind of like the top end of it as much as anything else. And it's mainly AEW who have kind of got that tag roster to have the kind of matches that are going to feel like very high profile and spectacular. So it does, I mean, it a, makes me hope that the Red Dragon Bucks feud is is something again of, of kind of like of, of real substance, but you know, you do think to yourself, you want to chuck a Briscoes into the, in the mix as well for, you know, some other things, but maybe it, it's in a bit of a kind of stasis. And I'm the not best. exactly convinced that Jurassic Express run is going to be like match of the year type stuff. It'll be all very enjoyable, but they have the formula of the tag matches they like. We generally go three and a half, three point seven five on them. Spectacular kind of spotty stuff as well. But yeah. The the best tag stuff for a good four or five year period was kind of NXT takeover style tags. You kind of had the um let me see. So you would have had like the American Alpha and um, revival Rival. stuff, and then the um, what was the one after that? Then it was Jumper Gargano. D- oh, yeah, DIY and and revival, and then there was bringing Tyler Bate and Trent Seven to the mix. Then you had the Undisputed Era guys into the mix, and they kind of kept that flow going over a three four year period of always having those big takeover tags. Um, that was like the tag team wrestling that was getting the most praise in the world. And then some really good stuff on the indie scene as well with the likes of the Bucks um, and, and different teams out there doing great stuff. Um, now really all of that's been stripped away. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount of great indie tag team stuff happening right now um, in Japan. New Japan hasn't. They've never, they had the junior tags, which were kind of good for a while with when that division was loaded with the Bucks and um, Trent and Rocky and, and, and Seidel and Ricochet and, and uh, Red Dragon uh, time splitters. Like they had a good run of junior tag stuff, but the heavyweight tag stuff was never overly great in New Japan. And you'd be relying on maybe a couple of good really good Dragon Gate tags, a couple of really good uh, Sekimoto and Okabayashi tags and like Big Japan and places like that um, to kind of have the, the Japanese side of things carried. And, you know, Jap- Japan has clap crowd problems. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really nowhere in the world to look right now for really consistent high-end tag team wrestling. AEW is just a little, a little too hit and miss, I think, for everyone right now in terms of their tag stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, 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 I think they that, could they could get more consistent. Yeah. That said, 
it will be very high on many other people's list. Not giving away the graph 100, but it's a contender, isn't it, Gareth? You know, people people feel very, very, very strongly about that match. I like to say it was my 11. It's not like I'm saying it's my 50th best match of the year or something like that. It's, uh, but yeah, people people will feel strongly about that one. That's it. On Grapple, it's got like a 4.8 average rating mm. from 807 ratings right now. Oh, so, yeah. you know, you know, that I think how That's many people, you know. people who haven't rewatched it, Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair comment, but think how many fives there, you know, if you think yeah. about for it to be to be above a 4.75 average there with 800 plus people rating it, you know, you're literally talking about, you know, 700 people plus giving it a full five you know so again it's something that's been massively in, in, enjoyed out there Definitely. well moving on from the jp your number eight we're on yeah eight my number eight is a u.s independent match it's the reason and, and to be honest with you it's something i don't keep up with nearly enough oh, okay. i've gone with wheeler Utah versus daniel garcia Nice. On the IWTV 100, um, it was it was the thing that kind of made me really believe the hype about Daniel Garcia. I hadn't seen enough of the uh, the Brandon Thurston feud, although kind of you you always heard kind of good things. You you know that there are these excellent workers on the indies, and like generally, I follow a rule, which is if Sarah Farrell is mentioned in them, they're like worth they're people that feel like <laughs> they worth looking out for. That's generally the rule of thumb I go by. Alan has no choice whether he likes them or not. He's just going to hear about them regardless. He was watching some shite yesterday evening. (laughs) What was she watching? GCW. It was awful. (laughs) I was going to say, I alluded to it. I alluded to it on Twitter. She was, because we have like kind of an open plan kitchen, living room kind of thing uh, downstairs. So I was on one side in the living room. I was watching uh, Takumi Aroha and the Utami Hayashi Shida on the, the with the volume on. She Fucking was awesome, over. Man. She was over on the the kitchen having her dinner with the headphones in on her tablet, watching um, uh, Blake Christian and and I forget what the exact quote was. She just went. Oh, end this shit now! Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> she she just buried it. And, was, and then and then she brought it over, and uh, we put it on the big TV, and um, she made me watch the next match, which was the Briscoes against um, the John Wayne Murdoch and Reed Bentley, and yeah. uh, which was like, as far as those kind of guys go. They're kind of enjoyable. Um, Briscoes, I love, but the fucking production on this shit was yeah. like you couldn't hear the crowd or the music. The just heard Kevin Neal screaming. I was, mm. this is fucking shite. Can I go back to watching Takumi Aroha, please? <laughs> I, I can she promise everyone. Yeah. We ended up watching just Dope Sick instead. JP, we started off that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can promise everyone. Show, no don't take oxycotton, folks. It's bad shit. <laughs> There's no GCW on my list, folks. I'll just say that now. I'll get that out of the way in case the rage map is uh, cringing really, waiting I, for I, it. I think we'd have Atticus Koga versus Alex Cologne or something. I, um, you know, I did consider the Bloodsport match, but Moxley and uh, what's his face? Mm. Dickhead. What's his name? Josh Barnett. His name's on the post. Barnett. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, didn't, uh, didn't make the cut at the end. But yeah, no GCW love coming from my corner this year. But uh, go on. But certainly some my WTV love. Um, it was the thing that 
like I mean, we'd heard so much about Daniel Garcia. It was it was you know at this point, he, he, I you know he'd already been appearing on on AEW. There was kind of like he he he'd done some of the matches on there. Um, you had Wheeler Utah. I mean, and just some of the the kind of notes from it. And, and going back and watching it, and I had to really think about rewatching like an hour long draw. But I thought this is something that was like like kind of worth my time in in investing in. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought Garcia's defensive wrestling is excellent. I think his selling's excellent. I think sometimes we kind of think of him as like it's kind of grapple fuck, but he's working well within a kind of wrestling context. Um, nothing was dull. They're both as athletic and got cardio to, to kind of kill for. Um, there's an abdominal stretch sequence with Garcia kind of countering it, and it just works within the context of like the one-hour draw. So, the the you know, it was it's not over the top, there are more kind of flashy hour-long matches, and there's a you know there might be another one appearing as 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 well later on. But it was also something that kind of the production values for this were excellent, which makes it an easy watch. I thought the commentary is brilliant; it's informative. It was like you know we're talking about Kevin Gill a second ago. This is just what independent wrestling commentary should be. Really, when you're thinking of like your Dave Prezaks and your Lenny Leonard's and the like, you know, this is this is really what should be. I think it's Dylan it's Hales. I'm Dylan, to think and I forget the other guy's name, and I feel bad because at the time, yeah, I, I said I didn't know his name, and I was told, and the, I was tweeting back and forth with the guy, and I told him good job or whatever, and now the blank Sarah knows his name. She's she's seen him on other other shows, but uh, um, yeah, it was really it was really it's good, really really. Dylan uh, really was phenomenal, and I've I, I, yeah. like I'm pals with Dylan online. I've been around him online for years and years and years. Listen to his podcast. He has massive respect for his wrestling knowledge, um, and I've always thought he's been uh, very good as a commentator. But there there have been times, and I've, I've said this to him, where it's like maybe it's just it's a little a little too much, a little too over excitement and everything is like the biggest thing in the world for maybe if what you're watching isn't necessarily, I've probably done that myself on WXW. It's, it's an easy trap to fall into if you're excited about what you're, you're doing. Um, but, uh, this was a match that really warranted it and he hit mm. the exact perfect levels. Um, and did so much for, and you, you need that for, for a one air draw, the commentator's role becomes so important because they, they need to keep you on that journey by mm. having the story flow and, and giving you the little things to latch on to the little mini stories throughout the overall story. It's so important for the commentator to highlight that there, they're your pilot through um through this journey and they, they've kind of got to guide you and if if it's if it's a bad commentator like there'd be nothing worse than watching an hour-long draw with bad commentary where it's just irritating like you kevin know, gill I, I can't say if uh, kevin gill and alex kozloff oh, oh. masato tanaka r.i.p according to alex kozloff uh, <laughs> seriously no did i never did you remember that i was uh that was when I when I decided I wasn't going to be listening to English commentary on Strong again. Oh, yeah. He was, <laughs> he was talking about the late, the late Masato Tanaka. I was like, maybe he's not dead. <laughs> is he thinking of is he is he thinking of Toru Tanaka who was in the Running Man, the Sub Zero? 
I don't know. So I don't think so. He was talking with former never, yeah. former never champion. So I'm pretty sure it was <laughs> absolute <laughs> dipshit. That bloke really is. But um, um, yeah, like it, the commentary was great. The production just in general was great. Yeah, I'm just gonna hold my hands up. I've fucked up here. Um, I'm I'm still not sure. Like I would have it in my top ten. It, it would probably be around the end. Like I could maybe swap it in for one of those matches I've talked about already. Um, what you guys said about the tag match has made me kind of reconsider whether I should have had that in there and now I'm thinking eh, maybe I would have preferred to have this match in here. I fucked up. I forgot about this. I think it was the fact that it happened on an IWTV show and when I was thinking kind of promotion by promotion it just escaped my brain. Um, so yeah, it was it was amazing. I loved it. It, it, it felt like it just it felt like a really important match for the US Indies, transitioning it from the bullshit of um what's the term? Um the meme wrestling bullshit and the and just the, uh, and death matches and stuff being so prominent for a good eighteen months, two years, and there being no real good quality wrestling on an independent level. Um this felt like Daniel Garcia planting his flag, Wheeler Yuta planting his flag. And now since that match, or kind of since around that time, we've seen so much more. Davey Richards coming back helps things. He's kind of bringing the seriousness back to it. It's We're seeing more of a revival of that kind of more serious athletic mm. style of independent US wrestling. And there's a lot of good wrestlers there to do it. Um, not all the way there yet. Still a ways to go, but um, but it was the first. It was the first time in a long time I'd felt good about American independent wrestling, and I think I was scarred by WrestleMania weekend. Oh, we and all were. just by being <laughs> so horrific. And <laughs> honestly, God, talking about like it's the de- not saying the death of the American Indies, but it kind of feels bloody close. It feels like this is as low as it gets. I'm watching a lad puke. The lad, lad vomiting, yeah. On the first yeah. day, we're all like, all right, let's go. First in day of WrestleMania Thursday afternoon. Crap. Probably his theatre match of the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While, you know, watching Leo Rush go all emo in the evening, going, oh, what am I? I'm wasting my life, aren't I? I need to re- <laughs> life choices need to be rethought. Well, this kind of ended up making you have that kind of faith and it was like i have to say it's the importance of like good production values nothing ott know where the fucking hard cam is point at the ring trust it and at the same time you've got the kind of like the really good analysis and commentary and a lovely venue like it's the crowd it's like one of the first you know so it's it's august so it's kind of quite packed in at that stage and you've got a couple hundred people packed in yeah really hot and you've just got a real atmosphere and it just adds the level of importance and i know wheelie you for example the back of the room well it's kind of then what it's led to because we're seeing at the points where daniel garcia of that crop of really young guys is like up there as one of the higher thought ones one of the more prominent ones and certainly you'd say like like rather than say a, a lee moriarty has taken to television wrestling just to show how how kind of good he is and being a television character and wheelie you while he doesn't get that kind of exposure i'd have faith that he will at some point it might be in a tag if they do something with trent barrera and he ends up tagging with chuck taylor i'm sure they can kind of do some good stuff and there's there's potential there with them and they're both very young and it's just like the kind of kickoff announcement match that kind of gets things going so yeah that's my number eight 
Yuta's been around for ages, but he oh, is still. I, I'm always shocked when I see what age he is. He's way younger than you think for how long he's been around. So, yeah, he's he's got so much potential. Yeah, there's that little cluster of like matches I kind of considered. You know, Shelly Garcia. You know, um, even Kingston Garcia from Rampage, Yuta Garcia, as you mentioned, Shelly Yuta, like that little cluster of ones where I was like, I didn't get around to rewatching them. I knew they weren't going to crack me ten, but they were always going to be honourable mentions. And yeah, I think Daniel mm. Garcia and uh, and Willie Yuta definitely uh, deserve their roses um, for what they've done. This and year. a good shout out for Alex Shelley there as well, who I don't know if he'll be in any of the top ten lists, but mm. like you mentioned, Alan mentioned earlier on about the kind of guy coming back to the to the indie scene and just thinking, yeah, there's a there's so much mileage you can get out of a guy like that in having these kind of matches. And it's, it's a good thing that, that on, on a lot of US indie cars, at least you realize and you're getting a couple of really good wrestlers and a couple of, hopefully a couple of really good wrestling matches on each card. Fred, and then obviously you've got Effie and Ali Cat and they're shite. <laughs> Freddie Ahai and Josh Alexander made it to yeah. really good stuff in AAW this year. Alexander had mm. a couple of really great mm. matches um, on AAW shows. God, they must hate that AEW came around. Just uh, <laughs> 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 Need to just change the name entirely at that point. AIW, AAW, AEW. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. Um, yeah, Gareth, how about you then for, uh, for number eight? Well, it's very timely. My number eight is also from IWTV. Oh. It's also from the American Indies. It's also featuring Wheelie Uta. <laughs> but it's Wheelie Uta against Lee Moriarty from ah. Beyond Wrestling's Project Reality earlier this year, which was a match that I absolutely loved. I don't think we've I don't think we talked about it on the podcast at the time. I rewatched it again this week and loved it, like loved it even more. It's just it's just a match there where they just go out there and there's almost like just four chapters to the match. It's, you know, there's there's a really, really good early grappling exchange, which is really innovative and just really just nuanced. It's a proper like technical clinic and it's all like logical as well. It's not just people just doing little reversals on each other for no reason and things like that. It looks like they're, they're working it well. And, you know, when, um, when they then like put a bit more motion into it as well, they just like they they just click so brilliantly. There was just there was a point where they were like doing a rope running spot, and then you went for a monkey flip, and Moriarty rolled right through into a clutch pin attempt, and it was just like it was just like they were one kind of thing. It was just their their timing and everything like that was just absolute uh, pure uh, perfection on that. Thought Wheeler did a great job there. Once they got through all that bit, then he started to just sort of inject a bit of like personality and character and aggression into it and uh, into the match. He started to just get a bit more vicious in what he was doing, and you know, again, really kind of like demonstrating that he was trying to win the match. He was doing just nice little things that I like. You know, he had, in, had him in the abdominal stretch, stretch, and he's grinding his knuckles into his ribs and up and down his ribs. You know, just to hurt him that little bit more. You know, that, I thought that was great and then you almost had that like kind of it was almost like a chapter then when it moved to the outside and the brawling on the outside just following on from that that aggression there and then coming back like the the last stage of the match is you know where the two lads are just like selling it has been absolutely fucked totally exhausted and just um you know that you know 
Yeah, you know, I'll always say that feeling of two lads who've been to war kind of thing and they're just, you know, they've really, you know, they're they're on their last legs just trying to do whatever they can out of desperation to 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 get the win. And this is a match that went 52 minutes and like it's it's a it's a long match, but bloody hell, do they pack a lot into it and do they but do they logically make it go through to that 52 minute mark and have enough going on in different phases that just keeps you interested um in in, in, in the match it's an absolute breeze it fly, flew by and I think that importantly as well they kind of like teased you that they were going to do the 60 because as you got closer to that mark you thought oh this is going to be like an hour's draw when you're watching it like unspoiled at the at the time especially where there's been a spate of one hour draws over the over the um over the area but then but you added you know a great part where users trying to apply the UTAP submission and Moriarty's been working his arm earlier. His arm gives way, which means that he has to turn it into a tombstone pile driver, which you know gets the gets the win ultimately. So even that, like right to the very finish, it just tied back into the to the uh, work on the arm that Moriarty had been doing previously. It was just the crowd were going nuts at the end, like you know the small crowd that was in there for Beyond, but they're all jumping up and down, banging the mat and everything like that. They were all going crazy because they just knew that they'd just seen. A great, great, um, great match, and like for me, it was just—it's one of those where you just watch it and you just think, "Oh, just, just give them lads half an hour. Let's just, just give them half an hour on TV, and just go out and do this. You're never going to give them 52 minutes, but just give them half an hour just to put make their mark and put their put their name out there. Because if they delivered what they delivered for in, in this in half an hour on TV it would make bloody stars of them both and hopefully it's something that they've got up their sleeve on AW for a bit further down the line because obviously having the two lads under under contractors as well but um, yeah definitely uh, one that I'd recommend uh, seeking out if you haven't watched it What do you think of the UTAP as a submission Gareth I'd be curious <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, I think logic, like that's the one thing is it doesn't fit kind of thing. You look at, you're looking at, I, I like the way that they brought the logic of the arm injury into the fact that he couldn't hold it to the yeah. end and the finish to this. But I think as a, as a, as, as a finish, it doesn't feel like you're sort of looking at it and it just it, it feels a bit odd kind of thing yeah. that, it, that you would try and hold somebody uh, in that way, in that way. I think it worked. <laughs> Here for that reason, but yeah, not one I'd be sticking with if I was in. It's the one thing with his heel running beyond that didn't ju- jump off the page to me is because his heel running beyond was tremendous. It was so good. Like, um, I don't love how much beyond lean into intergender stuff, but I'm not completely opposed to intergender. If like a match grabs me here or there when it's a man and it's a woman, then if it's good, it's good. I just don't like how it's leaned into as a, as a draw in and of yeah. itself. Um, that's where I don't like it. But he had a match with Willow Nightingale, which I thought was so great. She was so over as a baby face. He was so over as a heel. Um, there is like size wise. It, it wasn't um, like, you didn't feel like you didn't have to suspend your disbelief too much. Cause she was like a big, strong girl. And he's like a slighter guy. Um, he's more about kind of technical stuff and rather than like hard hitting anyway. So it felt like she was in with a real shot of winning and, uh, but he was just such a scumbag heel to, to sneak out the win. Um, have you seen Garrett? I'd be really curious what you think of it. Um, uh, there's a match they had. It was around the same time as the one you're just talking about. Maybe it 
within a month after it, I think it might have been, but it was a three-way um, with a guy called Dave Cole as well, who's like an old school Beyond guy. And it was unique rules where it's always one-on-one matches and they keep going until someone wins two matches in a row. So, for instance, it starts with Moriarty versus Wheeler. And if Wheeler wins that, Cole comes in. And if Wheeler wins that, he's won two in a row, it's over. But if he loses, he goes back out. The other guy who lost, Moriarty, comes back in. And there's so much strategy and stuff into it. And it was a great way of of Yuta to utilize real dickish heel strategy at times during the match by taking shortcuts and stuff. Um, really interesting. A uh, very ambitious match, which wasn't perfect, had its moments where it's kind of, it's it maybe falls down a little bit, but overall for what they, as I said, it was really ambitious and I think it came off with, a, a, there was real good stuff about it. I think I'd be fascinated what you guys would think about it if you got a chance to go back and watch it in a stage. I'd love to watch it based on that because just as a concept, it's just something that just sounds interesting and different and just a bit unique. And like you say, just thinking about building in that strategy side to it of trying to, you know, get what you need to do to win that. So I've taken note of that. I'll be giving that one a watch over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Not watching beyond does feel like if if there's one kind of independent like with, that's regularly kind of doing new and different things that they seem to be willing to kind of creatively try things so i don't think they do uncharted territory anymore and but at least they're trying which at the end of the day the indies is where you should be trying this stuff this is where it should be being trialed it's kind of the point of it it's the same with any medium whether it be music film or anything else the independent scene is where you know it should be that bit more experimental so I didn't expect the, the US Indies to get as much of a, a kind of loving. Done well this year. There you go. <laughs> didn't, wouldn't have said that around April this time This time last, last year. <laughs> That's what we're here for. And I didn't even do gauge card owner, so there you go. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, speaking of something from the uh, the opposite end of the scale, uh, my number eight. Uh, yeah, we are still on number eight <laughs> for this year. Um, <laughs> this will be brief. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone's going to go with me on this one. Well, I might be surprised. Uh, Walter Ilya uh, from NXT TakeOver. Uh, my number one slash two from last year. I couldn't uh, decide uh, in the end. A WH Park certified five-star match last year um, from NXT UK itself. I went back and forth on this one and, and including it at all, but on rewatch, unlike the that Young Bucks tag, it is one that um, I think definitely um, improved on rewatch rather than was hurt by uh, the rewatch. I think that definitely definitely helped. Um, but yeah, I think it's... Um, I don't know. It's, it's a match where I think... Yes, it's not as good as the first match, but it's still fucking great. And the question that kind of comes up with it is, is, you know, the first match when we talked about it, was it helped by not being in front of a crowd or was this better for being in front of like a, a raucous crowd? You know, they, they learned the lesson. They they flew the lads over, didn't do it in Enfield, did it at a proper, well, at least what was a proper takeover at that point, RIP in peace, um, NXT proper. But it was a question for me, does the crowd help or not? And I think in a way, Walter and Ilya, a bit like what you know you guys talked about with Noah and what I'm sure we'll talk about more with Noah as we go forward with this list, kind of benefit from that that silence and that like that, that, that how you can hear their chops. And this was kind of the best of both worlds because while it was a takeover, it wasn't a proper takeover. It was still taking place in, you know, whatever, whatever that 
what was the shit zone they called the uh, the NXT zone? The uh, the oh, what was it called? Capital Wrestling Center. That was it. Yeah, that's what they called it. Um, so yeah, there's you know there is at least um, that. Um, but you know, it, it's kind of like one of them where you forget how good Walter is. You know, until you until you kind of rewatch him and until like Walter has done his best to stay on the radar as a as a best in the world kind of wrestler. But you could feel it this year where it was like, okay, last year we gave him, you know, the Walter all your first match. This year it was like, okay, you know, he is kind of getting lost in the system. And I think he will get very lost in the system when he goes up to uh, to main roster WWE. But it's matches not like this. Not if he gets the name of a Nazi sailor. <laughs> Which has got to be his name. That's got to be why they were there. They were going for uh, for that name with him. Um, yeah, he's fucking he'll doomed. A, he'll get a big push at the Elimination Chamber if that's his name. <laughs> Depends where it takes place, mate. But uh, yeah, there is uh, <laughs> there is that issue. This might be the last of Great Walter we get, though. You know, this match, the Rampage Brown match from this year, I did love from NXT UK. I know that that was the same week as the uh, Tommaso Jumper match that everybody um, loved, and I think the Rampage match was definitely the better of the two. This was the Boss Walter match of this year. Do I expect to include a Walter match next year? No, um, but it was great. It was a great c- accumulation of the WWE side of their story. Ilya, I lose track of the amount of times I watch with him and go, God, this is an all-time babyface performance from Ilya. But this was, again, an all-time babyface performance from Ilya. It's the payoff to their story. It's him finally conquering Walter. He's so good um, in that role. Didn't love the finish the first time I watched it. On Sorry, Benno. Prime. He conquered Walter in Oberhausen in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> this is all the epilogue. This is all the epilogue to, uh, to that story. Yeah, and that's the other thing, you know, James, you always say that. proper commentary on that night as well. <laughs> and it wasn't taking place from a, a shit, uh, shit all in Florida where uh, this one took place. No, and that's it. You know, the the, the Walter Ilya stuff from, from Germany is is that that cut above, but it's still Walter and Ilya. It's still great. And yeah, really loved their own rewatch kept my rating at four and a half stars and yeah Walter makes it for one last year in my uh, top 10 but I'm under no illusion it'll be it'll be any near near my top 10 come this time next year you're on mute JP sorry about that I've got um it's slightly higher up on my list oh okay again good yeah not massively up, but I'm Sorry, ever so slightly higher on mine as well. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear because I know when it happened, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. I think because it was like we had we had Alan on the podcast. I remember it was one we went long on. Um, I can't remember we were talking about something else, and we had to like squeeze our Ilya Walter thoughts into a very finite period. So no, that's good then. Yeah, I didn't realize you guys rated us uh, as highly as that. So yeah, look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts uh, when we get there. But uh, before that, we've got our, our round of number seven, and we'll uh, we'll kick off with you, Alan. What's your uh, your number seven? Oh, Alan's on me. <laughs> it's the story of this podcast these days. <laughs> and JP. JP just he said a bad example there. Um, from Pro Wrestling Noah, I've got the finals of the N1 victory. Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Keno. Um, just one of the most fearsome striking battles I've ever seen in wrestling. Um it felt like a great way to end a tournament. It felt like a match which took Noah. Because if you remember the way Noah's year kind of went, we were all really high about it at the start of the year. I'd say 
right up to Muda won the title and we were like trepidatious. And then they did the split, which with the aggression after that great tag team match, which pissed everyone off. And as JP referenced earlier, in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the worst of booking moves. But at the time, we were all like, what the hell? And everyone soured on Noah for a little bit. And I remember not being... um, I remember not being massively into the N1 going into it, but then I kind of started watching a bit of it after, like, days after it happened. Like, I didn't watch the first few days as they happened, and then I started watching a bit of it towards the tail end and going back and watching a couple of matches. Like, this looks like it's been really good. And I got all up for the final night, and both semifinals were awesome. Masakatsu Funaki and his... Uh, um, Magaluf Tan, as you guys have termed it, going out there <laughs> against, uh, against Nakajima. It was the on his way back from hedonism, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a crapper of a match, and then um, the uh, the war between uh, Kiyomiya and Keno uh, for the other spot in the final. And you get these two guys emerging, two Congo boys. It wasn't the final people expected. You just get this incredible aesthetic in Corican with, again, the Noah production, everything green, and then everything going red for the entrances of both guys. Um, uh, just really, really good stuff. And they just had an amazing match. It was one of the first times where they used that HD whatever cam that they that they have. They used that a lot after so during and after the match. It made it feel like a really big deal. And... Um, Nakajima wins, wins the tournament, and you're like, oh, we're onto something here with Nakajima. He feels like he's just hit a new height here. Um, and that would prove correct. It's higher on my list. I don't know if you're proud of me, lads, but it's... Uh, I it's very much have it. it. Yeah, it's <laughs> higher on my list as well. Me too. Yeah. We'll oh. come back to us. There you go. There's a tease. <laughs> I wonder who's the high man. Imagine it's me. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> I'm very happy if that's the case. It probably won't be. Um, go on, then we'll move on and we'll come back to that then. Uh, JP, your number seven? Well, my number seven is also, it's not something we need to go into that much because it's the tag match between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers at All Out. Just to very quickly say, I think the reason that I had it in there is I'm, I'm thinking of the stuff that kind of stuck with me and it did stick with me even though it's it's kind of like your messy spot fest and there's the contrivances to it. I think for me, that was just, it was something that I thought when I was I was kind of looking through my list and initially just go, if you go by ratings, you find yourself, well, there's a very samey set of matches. And this one, like I kind of went back and I, and I rewatched and I was like, there are flaws to it. I mean, I'd went four and a half, half stars on it. And that's kind of where where I am now with it i wouldn't necessarily change it but at the same time i i love a good bucks wild spot fest and these two you know it 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 felt like it was that high point of the lucha brothers as well with the phenomenal entrance and you know just the reactions at the end and everything else and yeah do you know what it is difficult to take away like how much have you felt that tag run was kind of wasted with ftr nonsense which kind of completely take the steam out of it did you rewatch it? Did you say? Yes. Yeah. You still liked it on rewatch? Still, still up there? Did it move around your list? It did. It was high. Well, it was higher up if I was going by memory. Mm. And then it. And then I went. No, I just didn't have it. I just didn't didn't have it that high up. But yeah. at the same time, one. when 
Yeah, I, and it will be, and I get why. And it, it comes down to what you like in a match. But I kind of wanted, like, there was that part of me when I was when I was going through the list, and I kind of was trying to formulate it together. It was like, okay, but I, I kind of I like a spot fest, and I think it was one of the things I kind of put in there. And I don't know whether or not you know, if we're thinking of our top ten favorite matches of the year, then it kind of it it has that. And I, I've always had a soft spot for the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. Obviously, I don't think I'm completely unique and alone in that. But all the stuff we said earlier on about like where US tag wrestling is and everything else, I think that that comes into effect. So, yeah, maybe we've said everything we need to say on that one. Awesome. Your number seven, Garth? I mean, you've just talked about it. It was your number eight. It's um, Walter against Ilya um, from the uh, NXT TakeOver. So um, just coming in there, you know, I think when I talked to, I mean, Obviously, JP has just been talking about that Bucks Luchas match, and I said previously that was one of two that had fallen on rewatch for me. I mean, you said this one's gone up for you on a rewatch. This is one that's fallen for me on a oh, rewatch because when before I started watching it, I was trying to think what is going to be my number one, and I was thinking it might end up in Walter Ilya, and, and I was definitely kind of going into it with that mindset. And when I like looked at my rating, it was like four and a half. It was up there on you know my top rated match on grapple looking at the grapple 100 stuff it's there in the top five on on, on that as well kind so i knew it was something that was highly regarded by the masses as as well and i don't know if i was just like i don't know if my brain played tricks on me a little bit and some of last year's match was kind of what was cemented in my head as being you know what i was thinking of when i was thinking of this match you know Clearly, it's not something I don't view it as a bad match. It's number seven on my list and things like that. But it's just not the tippy-top, top-of-the-list match that I probably thought it was going to be going in. And, you know, it was what you'd expect it was. It was Walter and Ilya going out there and, you know, knocking the hell out of each other, you know. You know, the, you know, the, the good story of Ilya pulling in some counters, learning from some things that had happened before and, you know, turning on its head a little bit. And ultimately that, you know, moment of him, you know, ending on uh, coming out on top, you know, is uh, just as far as, you know, you look at some of the match times on a lot of the, the matches on, on this list. This was one that was a nice, you know, neat and tidy, relatively shorter match time as well, which, you know, they managed to do a lot tell a good story, give you a good outcome and things like that. But um but yeah, it's um it's what it's it's one of them that didn't live up to my expectations of what it was gonna be on on, on rewatch. I you know, I genuinely was thinking this 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 could even be top of the tree for me, but it wasn't that. Interesting, yeah. I kinda I kinda went in thinking I wasn't going to include it at all. I don't know if that's like a bit of bias against it being an NXT UK match. It's a bit of bias towards you know the people who do you know, genuinely think it's the it's the match of the year, and I think for those people watch more wrestling, it's probably what I'd say. As much as I like the match, you know, uh, you know, and as much as I can be accused of not watching enough wrestling for me, like you know, it's not the match of the year. Last year, hundred percent, like I think there was a very good argument for it, um, and I struggled last year whether to go with that or the books, uh, Hangman and Kenny tag. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, for me, it was more like I said, maybe I didn't want to give it that justification. I like not having a WWE match on these lists, and spoiler, that is the highest WWE match is going to get anywhere near my list. But that's the quality of the two. It's still going to be there or thereabouts, I think, even if, yeah, maybe it's the uh, slightly inferior sequel to the uh, the first match. But yeah, I'm sure, LJP will uh, tell us a, a bit more about that when we, uh, we get to uh, his future numbers. But yeah, to 
move on to uh, my uh, number seven. Was the Lord? Yeah, number seven. I think I'm going to be uh, the low man on this one. Um, or maybe. No, I think I might be. Brian Anderson versus Kenny Omega. Everyone got a high? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not that I didn't like it. <laughs> it was uh, It was great. You know, this is the point where yeah, we're arguing between, you know, matches we all love. I think on the podcast at the time, to be fair, I was kind of the low man on, on this one. Like, I went 4.25. It came a little bit in the shadow, I think, of, like, us... Um, just doing that Danielson mixtape and having looked at legitimately, like, for me, five-star yeah. matches. And then we came to this. I think we actually... Did, we, did, we, did this match happen just before that? Is that that's what it was, wasn't it? Because we, 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 we did the mixtape not long after. And then we were all like, hmm, maybe some of them five-stars should be kind of rethought. And I think for me, maybe I went in with the, you know, the, the memory of, of that Brian and I didn't think it was, I thought it was a great match. It's in my top 10 of the year this year, but I didn't think it was in the, the canon of his, of his greatest matches ever, but it is one like to be fair, you know, on rewatch, I did still really enjoy like similar to what I said earlier about the, uh, the Eddie Kingston match. I, to be honest with this one, I'd forgotten it was his first match in AEW. Like I think that, little nugget had kind of got lost in my brain as we said earlier with the amount of Brian stuff we got in that short period the fact that it took place you know on Grand Slam in front of that absolutely rabid crowd you know we had that this was G1 opening night was it better? Yeah, that's, there you go. That fits the uh, the analogy, and you know, and he's made up to be there, isn't he? Like he's like, can't he's trying to be all serious American dragon, but he can't help but crack a smile as like the crowd go go crazy, you know, before it. Like, and yeah, he is. It, it is. It kicks off Brian's uh, the the winter of Brian, I suppose it is um, this year. And yeah, I loved it. I just didn't love it as much as you know everybody else did. It could be something to do with the the non definitive. Uh, finish as you talked about earlier, uh, Alan. With matches, I think sometimes that's an issue. On rewatch, it is still kind of you can kind kind of see in those last thirty seconds that they've kind of run out of stuff and they're just they're hitting strikes and then the crowd uh, deflated. But the crowd are going to be deflated. You can do the best thirty or sixty minute draw in the world, and you don't get a definitive finish, especially in front of American crowds. That they're, they're not going to like it. Um, but yeah, there, there is that that kind of plays on my mind as well. But at the end of the day, you know. This is Kenny's best performance of the year. It's Brian, you know, one of the greatest of all time. It's two, you know, for things I'll detract about Kenny, it is two two masters of the craft being in there. And I did have an enjoyable time, you know, rewatching it today. Just maybe not as an uh, enjoyable time as, as everyone else has had. But like I say, I'm sure we'll get into it uh, as we go. Awesome. Well, speaking of that match, uh, we will get into uh, before we get into our uh, our number six picks. We'll uh, go to some more clips uh, from friends of the show that might make an appearance. Those men make make an appearance. But here we go with uh, some more clips of match of the year picks. This is Will Calling of Pro Wrestling Torch, and it can be said giving you my match of the year. And in a year that wasn't really brilliant. For Ingram Wrestling, I think the obvious choice, the only choice arguably, is Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega. Two of the best of all time, just kind of almost casting back the years. Danielson kind of showing us that 
as good as the stuff he was doing as Daniel Bryan in WWE, there were limitations, and those limitations were not going to apply in AEW. He was going to bring the full ray of his arsenal uh, to his new home. Kenny Omega finally having somebody didn't have to slow down or dumb down his offense uh, so they could keep up. Just a tremendous match in front of a hot crowd. In retrospect, the wrong finish, but it made sense at the time. You know, this is a match that deserved its five stars. Absolutely perfect. And I got to watch it at 6pm in the, in the afternoon rather than having to stay up all night to watch it. So, yep, my match of the year is Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega. Hello, everyone. Jamesy here with my pick for the 2021 match of the year. My selection is none other than the Brian Danielson versus Hangman Page bout from AEW Dynamite on December the 15th. This match was at least a half star ahead of anything else I saw in 2021, which once again was a poor overall year for true high-end wrestling. It is as good an argument as you'll ever get for why one-hour matches are a bad idea unless in the hands of the absolute best. Thankfully in this case, those hands belong to the greatest of all time, as he guided Paige to the best match he's ever likely to have in his life. The time flew by in this one as Danielson incorporated rib work, arm work and a nasty head wound in a way that was always compelling and made sense in the overall context of his submission hold to the bell lock. His heel mannerisms were something to behold as he taunted both Paige and the crowd to great effect throughout. Paige for his part held his end up and the finish was perfectly timed and judged to set up a rematch a few weeks later. Just a stellar piece of business all round which cemented Danielson's spot as the runaway wrestler of 2021 and left everyone in little doubt that while he might not be the AEW champion, he's on a different planet ability-wise to just about everyone else. Hey everyone, this is Aaron from the Everything Elite podcast, where we talk about all elite wrestling, of course. Go to Twitter at EverythingAEW. You can find the links to our podcast, our Patreon, all that stuff. But I'm excited to be here on this podcast, on the Grapple Spotlight podcast to talk about my favorite match of the year, one that I don't expect is going to get a ton of love in match of the year voting, but it was my favorite. And that is from uh, July 28th in AEW, Chris Jericho versus Nick Gage at Fight for the Fallen. I know it's probably not at the top of your list, probably not at the top of a lot of lists, but it is the most fun I've had watching a wrestling match this year, the happiest I was watching a wrestling match. We had Nick Gage, who I'm a big fan of, getting to be in a big spot. And not just be in a big spot, but do a Nick Gage match. He got to do everything you want to see out of a Nick Gage match. Chris Jericho was game. He took light tubes. I don't know, I loved it. Then there was the whole Domino's thing afterward with the pizza cutter. Domino's got mad. WWE got mad. It's got everything you could possibly want from a pro wrestling match. Hi, this is Mike Spears one of the hosts of Everything Elite, the world's first podcast devoted to all elite wrestling, the elite extended universe, and also the host of Open the Voice Gate, a Dragon Gate podcast since 2016 that does not have quite the tagline that Aaron put together for EE. But I came here to announce my 2021 match of the year. And as someone who covers primarily AEW and Dragon Gate, had some interesting picks, but I decided to go with from July 31st at Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021, the Open the Dream Gate title match between Shooting Skywalker and KZ. 
And this just was the match that I can't get out of my brain this year. Whereas there was some really great stuff in AEW and other promotions. This is the one match that kind of stuck with me. And especially Shun Skywalker's crazy monkey flip. Hi there, Grapple fans. Eddie Sideburns here, a TNA historian and host of the Arn and Eddie Experience on YouTube. Ben was asked me to give my opinions on Match of the Year, and I have two of them, both coming from the beginning of the year. The first being Shingo Takagi vs Jeff Cobb from Night 2 of Wrestle Kingdom for the Neverall Point Challenge. This was a great heart-hitting contest that it could have done with the crowd being able to make noise, but for me it was just really good. Um, please go and watch it. The second match comes from All Japan uh, as Suama defends the Triple Crown for the fourth time uh, against Yuma Ayogi from New Year's Wars Night 2. A great follow-up from the tag match between Violent Giants and the Extreme on Night 1. Heavily recommended. It's a great story with some great action. Let's hope 2022 has a great year of wrestling. Thanks for having me on. Right then. Just the one more in this uh, part of the uh, the show, guys. Our, our number six. Uh, what a great lead-in we, we had there. So let's do it. Let's do our number six at our last lo- uh, round this round. Alan, once again, kick us off, mate. I'm going to go with... Well, y- you guys get me on here for a reason. And it is uh, Dragon Gate Toss. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were about to talk about Dream Team. That's why we get you on, mate. <laughs> R.I.P. Fletch. Um, so... Um, my Dragon Gate match here, I have one Dragon Gate match on this list. I really could have picked any of three um, Shun Skywalker matches. There's three just tremendous ones. Um, I think probably the two most popular ones are the two I've gone against. Um, the ones that will probably appear with the highest grapple rating and that would appear on most Dragon Gate fans list as, as kind of your your top matches of the year. Um, I would have them just outside my 10. And I'm going to give the nudge to a match that happened on a, a smaller show. Um, less of a big deal. It wasn't even like a, a proper um, TV kind of taping show. Or, um, it may have put, been put in that format later, but when it aired and went up on the streaming service, it was just single cam, no commentary, but it didn't take from it whatsoever. It was his defense of the Open the Dream Gate against Kaito Ishida in March. Kaito Ishida, who's someone who had an amazing 2020 um, with the Open the Brave Gate title, he was he really came of age with his, his feud with Keisuke Okuda, where they just kicked the crap out of each other. They were the Nakajima and Keno of 2020. Those two lads, um, in terms of in terms of kicks. Um, but Ishida had a very quiet 2021 after this match. It was like he came into 2021, big momentum. They built him up to this title match, and he didn't do a huge amount after it, but it was one hell of a performance here um, going up against Shun Skywalker, someone he was great chemistry with. It's not it, – it's a long match, but it doesn't feel like a long match, if that makes sense, in, in the way that a lot of kind of dr- – Dreamgate, Dragongate main events can feel quite lengthy. Um, and at times there's kind of, you know, what might feel like kind of dead time to someone if they're maybe uh, parachuting in and don't really know the stories. You didn't have that here. It was really just intense and action-packed from the start and a crazy finishing stretch. 
I remember I had food arriving, um, not like me. I had food arriving to the house. Uh, it was on the way as I was wrapping up watching this match and I was expecting the match to be over. And I was like halfway off the couch getting ready if the delivery guy came, but also just totally transfixed with this match. And they had me going crazy with near falls. And I was like, oh my God, this match is insane. I answered the door to the delivery driver probably 30 seconds after the match ends. And I'm, he's probably like, Jesus, what the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, he's probably never seen someone so happy to be getting their food. I was like, yeah, it was very exciting. Dragon Game match I just watched, sir. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, my food was good right after it. So all, all in all, it was a great Sunday afternoon that day, if I remember it right. But uh, yeah, this match is awesome. Um, uh, Dragon Gate Network, I, I don't even know if you can go back and watch this match on there. Uh, you probably can um, at this point, but it's just always a bit dicey with some of the, the shows like this, which stream live that are smaller shows rather than the kind of the main kind of Corrigan shows and pay-per-views. Um, but it's out there if you know where to look anyway. And uh, if you want to DM me, if you want to check it out, I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. But it's, it's a buyer of a match. It's And yeah, as I said, it's tough to choose between the three big should matches. The other two are the Yamato match and the KZ match from the big Yoshino retirement weekend. Um, I'll just give this one the edge as personal, personal preference for me. It, it will always be our blind spot is Dragon Gate. And Alan will try Alan tries with us, you know, he does uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't push it on you too much. No, to be, you don't. I, no, you don't. I, I, I I know it's not for everyone, so I it's um yeah, it's like if there if, if there's a match that pops up that I really think uh, would fit your taste or whatever, you'd be hearing from me on it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, if it's one you can parachute in and just um loves as an individual match i'll always point those out to people like um it didn't make my list but i think everyone should go watch because it's for free on youtube the um uh sp kento uh jackie funky kamei match from um uh october i believe it was just to be able to see what two guys less than two years into their career did on that show in a main event, it's fucking unbelievable. They had as good a chop exchange as any I've seen in wrestling since Kobashi and uh, Kensuke in the Tokyo Dome. Just insane. Um, so that's one I, I kind of pushed on people to, to watch. But in general, I think uh, I, I pick and choose when I push my Dragon Gate on people, both because I know it won't always click, but also because their service is... Uh, I see in terms of being able to kind of it's hard to go back and if you want to like just drop in and and rewatch a bunch of stuff from the year it's not so easy to do and they are looking to make some improvements this year with their YouTube and make that a bigger deal and stuff so um, hopefully there's more improvements to come. I mean that match that match that you picked there Alan that's again a spoiler that's number 42 in the grapple 100 that one and then oh, wow. the uh, the other two that you mentioned there the the KZ matches at number 30 the Yamato matches at number 24 so there's three you know three of those matches there landing in like your your top 42 it would be in the in the grapple 100 so some decent uh, representation there and good representation for uh, Shun Skywalker clearly for the the year he's had yeah, until he lost his mind and went completely insane at the end of the year, had an emotional breakdown. So uh, it was going well for him. 
<laughs> great storytelling going on throughout the game. Seriously, like fucking tremendous stuff. Like if you're into the weeds with the stories they're doing at the moment, oh, it's fucking brilliant. Has he got a bit of Marco Boogers? Living the caravan. <laughs> I said it to uh you guys would appreciate this. I said it to JP when he was on my show. It's Sean Skywalker's gimmick right now is he's the living embodiment of Brit Rest is it is fine. He's like <laughs> his whole gimmick is his stable is fine. Meanwhile, everyone in his stable fucking hates him and they all want to leave the stable. He's like, everything's great, we're all fine. Um it just it's hilarious some of the stuff that he's done they refuse to wear the entrance gear and stuff and he's gone more and more crazy with that yeah they have these crazy masks they wear in their entrance and he wore all five masks at one like together on top of each other and he was cutting a promo and like he had brought four microphones into the ring for all the lads to do a show closing speech and they all just told him to piss off and anyway he gets up on the on the turnbuckle and holds all four microphones in his hands and just screams something overly positive and just ridiculous into the microphones it's like Brit Ress is fine <laughs> 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 I love it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I hope there's a me in this equivalent who's just shouting, No, it's not. Um <laughs> got one of those young drag gate students on it. Um yeah, you're Kota Minora. You're being <laughs> you're being recruited by Naruki Doi currently, Ben. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um yeah, so moving on then, uh, JP, you're uh, you number six to uh, to close off this part of the podcast. Well, my number six, I didn't expect to be the, the really high man on, on, on this one, but um, it's Ilya Dragunov and Walter, um, which I think I went, it was like like you guys, it kind of, I think it would have been higher, like kind of on the, on the first watch, I think it would have been up around, I think like sort of number four for me. Again, like kind of echo the thoughts actually that really better, you've got me thinking about this. Actually, if this was like the, the beauty of the the NXT UK match was in front of the empty studio, which kind of made it feel unique. It's, it's when you hear that kind of, you know, the sheer brutality of it. Um, there is like, what I liked about this is some of the kind of like more structural story based aspects of it. Like Ilya fighting more as an aggressor and being smarter rather than the last match we was kind of having to survive the idea of Walter ultimately at the end of the day being kind of a coward and, and, and tapping out quite quickly. Um, you know, those kind of things I, I liked. And, and again, it, it was when thinking of what, cause I've got no other WWE matches on here. I don't think there's anything that comes kind of even close to this, like really in ring. I know the champer match I kind of enjoyed as much as anything, but for the most part, like as a kind of, story in a wrestling match this is as good as they have done and it's almost like they do it to spite themselves isn't it but um as i'd like to you know say earlier on for me if you're watching Ilya versus walter you need alan farrell on commentary that's that's when this that's when that feud is at its absolute best but yeah that was that that was my you know number six as well and it, it like i think you said this earlier on, but no, it's just like we get one, we get a yearly reminder that Walter's here, Walter's around and he's really good. But um, Walter might be dead. Gunter Stark is alive and well, <laughs> um, which then makes me think, are they going to play the Marvel stuff if they're doing that as his surname there as well? 
make him grow a tash and act like a bit of a twat like Robert Downey Jr. or something like that while being a Nazi. It's going to be awful. It's going to be absolutely horrific and and offensive on a number of levels. For five months and then he'll be sacked. Yeah, basically. Back in Essen, his legs. Yeah, he might be making it. An Essen match might turn up in RevPro, might finally get to New Japan. Might well be in my my top 10 in uh, in 2022. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, There's still time. Um, But yeah, moving on then, Gareth, you're number six. Alan's mentioned it previously. It was his number seven. Uh, it's the M1 victory final in Noah for me. It's uh, Keno and Nakajima. And again, it was just a, another example of a, of a shorter match where, you know, you just absolutely just engage in something from, from start to finish, just absolutely a breeze and flies through watching it, just watching these two lads just knock the living shit out of each other. You know, it's a, co- a common theme with matches on my list. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy people kicking the shit out of each other. And um, on this one, I think they're where you add, you know, you add, I love the relationship, the interrelationship of this scene from the same time that it been this, the two Congo lads and, you know, a, I think Nakajima being on top early on in this match and then um, that point where he's almost like toying with Keno and then Keno, there's that spot where he like springs to his feet and he's basically got like a look on his face like you cheeky bastard kind of thing and then they, they just trade off a bit more and but you know ultimately Nakajima's kicks put him uh, on top um, on top of that one. There's so many points during this match you've just got to where it just breaks down and they're, they're just laying kicks into each other's body into each other's legs you know palm strikes to throw at each other there was a fantastic sequence in the middle of this where they traded german suplexes and then they just landed like stereo head kicks which what looked like it could have been a double ko as they both just you know fell to fell to the mat at that at that point there was a bit later on where i think keno literally just not kicked out at one or just quicker than one um and then but then nakajima landed a series of kicks and then hit the vertical spike and then nearly got like the pin at like a 2.99 so that was just great how it just made what nakajima had just done feel so impactful that he'd literally gone from a one can kick out to like a three you know almost getting the three i thought that was absolutely great um all you know, all in all, it was one year just where you know at the finish as well, just where they you know they're just going at each other again, more kicks, you know, literally for about one to two minutes where they're just kicking each other. Fulton came out with the great line on commentary: "More kicks than a sneaker factory." One of his just like his little uh, his little uh, associations that he always likes to just draw in and throw there. Always gets a laugh out of me his uh, his, his little gags that he throws in there. But you know, I think there was the bit where like Keno like hit Nakajima the palm strike in that finishing sequence and Nakajima just got to it, grinned and then just got to his feet and then just landed about a, a flurry of about 20 on his own and then Keno just like retorted with a, a series of a series of his own just like two lads just beating their out of each other awesome stuff that just left me wanting more and we'll get to that later um, but yeah the you know the finish as well just afterwards and both just kind of sitting cross-legged at the end just sort of like respectfully shaking each other's hands and a little few words with them as well just again just adding to that kind of here's you know two teammates who've gone to war one of them was a bit cocky they kicked the shit out of each other 
get to the end and you know the, the, the show of respect between them at the end lovely just a lovely tight little um little story that was told and lads laying fuck into each other great stuff and that is such a simple dynamic that they their styles of matches mm. is of just mm. like battering each other it's so simple but their the dynamic of their relationship is so i don't i, I don't know if complex is the word but it's so it's interesting you know it's not it makes you think it's not just kind yeah. of it, it's not just kind of you're been there done that typical wrestling it's not oh stable mates with tension with each other or oh just best buds get along perfect it's there's there's a uniqueness to it. I don't think there's a relationship in wrestling quite like it. It's like mm. Nakajima's currently more successful, has probably been the more successful of the two, but there's no challenge of leadership. Like Keno is very much the leader of Congo. He seems comfortable in his leadership. He doesn't see secure in his leadership. Nakajima's not looking to, you know, usurp him. Um they batter each other. There's an edge to it at all times, but then there's the pat on the back at the end, and there's no, there's no big dramatic or they're gonna shake hands kind of. It's just it's very natural, but also just interesting how they play it. I I, I really mm. find it find it quite fascinating to watch, and every time they add a layer to it, whether it's a, a big match or or whatnot, like. Honestly, like I think they've got such a good dynamic with this Congo thing and with these two guys, they don't have to mess with that much for the next few years. They can keep that as as kind of almost like the the centerpiece of the promotion in many ways. And you've got Kiyomiya doing his thing, rising up alongside them, um, and they're kind of ultimately going to be the two guys that Kiyomiya is kind of knocking heads with and but they're going to knock heads with each other at the same time because they have been for like the last mm. three years so it's it's great stuff it's not easily categorizable they're like they're neither fr- they're friends and they're rivals they kind of they get on but they also have to needle each other in order you, you to don't get, even know get if things they're out like, I'm, I'm not even sure if they are friends yeah. like yeah. well, as not in- strike me as having as being friends, friends with anyone respectful would probably be that yeah it's but he's allowed to be the kind of wild card in the team isn't he where is the different shade of red sits in the corner whenever yeah yeah Yeah. he's always at the back isn't he kenno's at the front speaking he's sat on the turnbuckle yeah even at the tokyo dome when they came down invading the new japan show kenno was front and center nakajima who's the champion was just sitting back behind everyone on the corner and the camera cut to him at one point and Kevin Kelly had a great line to give Kevin credit on this one. He just goes, that's the guy. That guy scares me and uh, he makes me nervous. And it was like, it was such a, it was a, such a good way of describing Nakajima because he, he doesn't let anyone be comfortable. You know, Nakajima just has this, you never know what he's thinking He's smiling at weird times. He's stone-faced at weird times. You can't be comfortable around him. It's 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 a cool kind of vibe that he has. Um, and yeah, they do little things to just separate him from the rest of Congo. There is like a cool thing I've noticed recently is um, Congo do the, because so many of their guys come from Michinoku Pro um, and have that background, they do uh, 
the Kyantite looks um, uh, elbow drop sequence with the big pose at the oh. end of it. Mm-hmm. They do that move that, that Taka and Dick Togo and the lads used to do um, back in the 90s. Um, they all do it. Like They'll have like a six-man or a seven-man or whatever the, the match will be. They'll all do it. Soya, all the juniors, everyone except Nakajima. He'll be out on the outside brawling with someone and then the other lads will all do the uh, after doing the elbow drop. Nakajima never joins them in that, in that uh, sequence. It's just little things like that where are really cool. You can tell they're they're thinking about what they do. Well, you'll have uh, yeah. I can't believe you say this, but you'll have my take on that in the second part of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same in. <laughs> oh, we'll get it to. Um, but yeah, just to, to round out then, uh, my number six. I don't know if there's one. I imagine there's on list, but I don't know. Um, Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Junior from the uh, the New Japan Cup. Just, just it's not on my list, but I considered it. It was close. It was. It was. It was in the mix. Yeah, really enjoy. Like for me, like you know, it's. I mean, it's that typical great match. They're always going to have a great match, aren't they? These two in together. It's funny because I've, I've definitely heard story before about Zach not rating Osprey. Maybe that's uh, one bitter work or too many of. Uh, I've spoken to have claimed that uh, that conspiracy out there, but for me, it's one of he's one of his his greatest opponents. This was early enough in the Osprey run, don't get me wrong, and there's another Osprey match I'll be talking about later where it it is a problem, you know, the, the Osprey heel stuff, but we're kind of still in, I think, B era at this point. It's not we haven't gone full full Essex with him. He's not trying quite so hard. For whatever reason, he's just he's more bearable. And I think at the time when we, we reviewed this match, I think maybe one of my criticisms was that it's almost a match where Osprey guts it out and is almost the babyface in this. I think it's because of the blood, which adds anything, you know, adds half a star to to any um, good match that I enjoy. But I remember that being a negative for us, being, hang on, if he's supposed to be this heel, why are they doing that? But to be honest, compared to the Osprey we've got today, I'll take it. You know, I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather we had these shades of grey and we had this this side of Osprey come out uh, a little bit more because it's definitely definitely preferable to the uh, the osprey we've got today but yeah i'm quite quite happy happy that the you know the the unintended hard way on this one it definitely added a, a little bit more of emotion to it it had all of the the great osprey zack saber jr counters that you'd expect between this two there's never never a, a boring moment uh, in these two matches and yeah i thought it was maybe you know again they've had maybe had slightly better matches than this but it was a a worthy entry into their canon and yeah i think you can uh, kind of set your watch by that there'll be an osprey's actually the junior match somewhere or or thereabouts in my top 10 just about squeaks into my uh my second half here so yeah one that uh you maybe consider gareth did you rewatch it did you say I didn't really watch it, but it's it's one that sort of sticks more in my mind of you know New Japan matches from from this year. And um, you know, again, when I was like scrolling through my things and looking at there, I was thinking like, oh, I, I could give this a rewatch. I'll let me have a look and just like write things down. And you know, mm-hmm. once I kind of like wrote things down, I thought, do you know what? It's it's not going to be in my ten. Well, you know, once I knew other things definitely were going to be in my ten. So I thought, uh, you know, with the time you've got, I'm not going back. But I think last year I had two Zach versus Osprey matches in there in yeah, my list yeah, in my well, top ten last year as well. Yeah. So um, again, that was kind of something that was um, that was in my mind as well. That I was thinking, I know I didn't enjoy this one as much as I enjoyed those two last year either. So I thought I'd feel a bit tight putting it in my in my list this year. <laughs> 
that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And yeah, yeah. it is one that kind of I had a vague record. Yeah, I could remember bits of it. It wasn't one where I was like, okay, I'm ruling that out. I'm not rewatching it. I did remember really enjoying it at the time and it being kind of the, the highlight of that kind of New Japan Cup era. But yeah, I was happy it, uh, it lived up on rewatch. What were you going to say, JP? Do you know what it was? I have to be honest. It was like, I, I had it was up there in the kind of overall list when I'd gone through the rankings and had them out, mm. and it was more of a time constraint. I was thinking, how much do I remember of it? And then, unfortunately, when you mentioned Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr., there's like several different match, matches that sort of all blend. Um, they're not the same. Obviously, I'm doing them a massive disservice, but when you're trying to think what stands out, I'm going, did that happen the year before or possibly the year before that or possibly the year before that? So just through sheer... And I have to say, this happened with a lot of New Japan. I kind of went, was just in the phase where I've given it this four and a half star rating and I've just gone sort of like nowhere near it afterwards, kind of can't see anything. But, you know, you mentioned it there. These two aren't going to be having bad matches with each other, not at this stage of their careers as well, where they've got it down to a kind of well-oiled machine. But yeah, I can't really remember any of it, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> not even the blood? I vaguely remember the blood, but... Yeah, I, I I can't be sure I watched this. I, I think I remember, because I did watch some of Osprey's New Japan Cup stuff. I remember watching the Finley match, obviously the finals. Um, but uh, I think with the Zack match, and I did see it getting praised at the time, but I was kind of so satisfied with their story from a year earlier, the matches they had right before COVID, and obviously everything they had done previously in their careers. It, I wouldn't say I was sick of seeing them wrestle, but I didn't need to see them wrestle anymore. And uh, I think I just passed on it, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, uh, no thoughts really from me. I can I can imagine what it was and that it was probably very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that too. You know, I haven't seen so many of them. You can imagine it, but, you know, their the, the matches together are great. So, does Osprey feature on your list at all, Anna? I know you've not been, been high on his uh, gimmick this year and is particularly, no. uh, yeah, soured on the tail end of the year. Yeah, the New Japan Cup final with Shingo was, I think, his, his best performance in the match I enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the Okada match at the Dome, actually, as well, was really good. Um Funnily enough, it was it was that Shingo match, the New Japan Cup final, that it was it was the post match of that that was what made him just so intolerable for me. Just because uh, that was just such a shoving it in the face of like like I had been someone who I don't want to say was defending Osprey, but was someone who was trying to trying to just focus on the good of him as a wrestler um, and not all the other noise that goes on around him. Mm. And that thing with B Priestley was, and then basically and what he turned his character into after what we saw with the, uh, his promo he had after he wins the title a few weeks later against Ibushi in a disappointing match. Um, that was when we started to see him refuse to let me ignore the noise around him because right. he brought all that so much into his presentation and was like, I'm going to make veiled references to the reasons people don't like me outside of the ring constantly. I'm going to do all that, just all this stuff that just, uh, I'm at the point now where I can't even stand the look of the cunt. Like just, <laughs> I, I saw, I saw, I haven't watched. I I know, look, I know the Okada match is probably incredible. I haven't watched it. Like I saw yeah. him with that, 
with the shit haircut he had at, the, at Wrestle Kingdom. And I was just like, oh, the cut of this guy. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just done with him um, for now. Maybe at some point he'll chill out a little bit and, um, and get back to something that I can tolerate. But I've, I've just had enough Will Osprey for the time being in my in my wrestling fandom. That might change at some point. We'll see. Understandable. Yeah, I mean, he's had a sneaky great year. There's, he's not the last time he's going to appear on my list. However, mm. none of it is post, like you said there, Alan, the B Priestley turn <laughs> at the end of this tournament. So I think that's... Yeah, look, I, I yeah. have him pretty respect, in a pretty respectfully high position in my FSM 50 list. He ended up in the actual FSM 50 a bit higher because the other people... Um, were were even higher on him than I was, mm. um, but I mean I, I had him probably top half or so, and that was mostly on the strength of the early. Do you know what I really liked was the feud with Tenzan and Kojima, that mm. original United Empire feud, mm-hmm. where they had a bunch of matches with Tenzan and Kojima. I thought that was excellent stuff, really really fun. It was all because Cobb wasn't over there at the time, so it was just Osprey and Okan and Tenzan and Kojima, and they had a bunch of matches that were brawls, felt really different from other stuff that New Japan was doing. It was one of the, the kind of fresh things that New Japan had going on. I, I thought it was excellent, um, and it was just Osprey kind of focusing on, you know, he was focusing on a feud with Satoshi Kojima. Like he was like, that's all he was geared towards. Like, Kojima, you're an old man, I'm going to beat you up, you know? Um, but that kind of stuff like it and that's i can i can take that that's that's good that's fine it's when you start making me think about all the stuff i don't really want to be thinking about when i'm watching your matches um you know that's that's where it gets difficult with them well on that note that wraps up our uh, our first half of our uh, top 10 matches of the year no surprise to anyone we've got a got a bit mammoth length i think the uh part two of this podcast i say this I, i'm gonna curse it now will be a little bit shorter but you know got a lot of love there to uh to spread uh as far as uh matches go but yeah just for the, this first off uh, thanks for everybody for listening hope everyone's in that thank you for the people who've uh, sent in those uh those clips hope everyone has uh enjoyed them so far but yeah just yes. for uh, the people listening to uh to part one uh alan any plugs you want to want to mention before we uh we get out of here on this this part of the podcast um god i haven't really thought ahead to plug things just uh peter Torch vip alan forel's pro rest paradise um i've done one big show so far it is here and that was with the grace jp Hulahan. yeah and we talked about our ones to watch for 2022 i was really happy with how it turned out i thought it was an awesome show um i looked jp actually when i was like uh doing the editing and saving the files L- longest show i've done in uh i think since may or june so uh it's a pattern no, that, that's the curse of me mate unfortunately i'm a time sponge two irishmen starting to chat and that's that's what oh, you yeah. get um, mate if you've got but, me onto irish foot if, if adam eder had scored by that point i would have been talking about him someone to watch in 2022 <laughs> but yeah so ch- check out that for sure if you if you like uh myself and jp having the chat on here i think you'll really enjoy uh, two hours of us talking about uh ones to watch for yeah for this year in pro wrestling we, we covered a gamut didn't we jp we we hit every corner oh yeah we did we went all around the world i even stuck a luchador in there which i didn't think did. was going to be doable 
I was I was uh, apologizing um, preemptively for us not having probably not having any luchadors, and then JP was like, "Ah, I will have one for you. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> save, save my bacon from getting the obvious one. one. It's not Chessman. <laughs> State of him. Uh, LA Park then makes sense. Um, or one of his shit sons. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely useless, those lads. I don't know if they're worse than the Von Erichs, but some of the worst matches I've seen in recent years involve those two tag teams. We'll do a worst 10 one year. Um, but yeah, JP, any plugs from us on the uh, on the podcast side? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, uh, Patreon.com forward slash grapple. Um, we have got upcoming, we're going to be doing a show on the uh, uh, five-year anniversary of the UK, the uh, yeah, the WWE UK Championship Tournament. Oh. That, yeah, that's going to be an experience. There was another show going on that weekend, but I'm sure we'll go into into detail on on that one as well inadvertently because I think me and Gareth are sort of legally compelled to do so. Benno is there, so we've <laughs> we've we've got that. Other shows um, that we've done recently. Have you rewatched it yet, lads, or is that... No. We're doing it with Andy Ogden and Gunny. Andy's been rewatching, But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see away from all the buzz. Because I was there live night one, but not night two, which there's a story behind that, as as JP said. It's going to be so fascinating to hear what you (laughs) you think of that fight. I haven't watched it since it happened. Yeah, I think that's going to be mad. Make sure you watch. Remember they did that? Like, was it a YouTube angle or something they did with Regal and Pete Dunne? Mm. Sam Gravel as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I look forward to that. Hopefully we can stick yeah. in. I don't want it to be good. I want to stick the boot in. So, yeah, hopefully we hate it, JP. Also, well, I mean, we also go into the great career of William Regal. That's the uh, the other mixtape uh, that, that we've done recently. You know, you know fantastic matches against people. <laughs> Um, yeah, loads of those. We've watched all of them, you know, from the big cards, Velocity. Um, you know, we couldn't find all of the Ted Mental match, but, you know, to give him a shout out, hell of a trainer, um, hell of a story. Very much the hipster Rippy, uh, Robbie Brooks side as well. So have a listen to that. And then if you like that kind of stuff, we've got one on CM Punk. We've got uh, one on Brian Danielson. We've got a whole year's worth of shows to go back to. Daily updates and a weekend preview. Can, can I give a big seal of approval to one of the shows? Um, I, I don't always, uh, like I don't listen to the shows generally, like those kind of um, non-time sensitive ones. I, like I'll let them build up and I'll, I'll go back and listen to them whenever uh, I'm in the mood for specific ones or, or what what have you. And uh, one I listened to during Christmas, um, which I don't know, maybe it was just it was Christmas and I was in a good mood, but it was one of my favorite podcasts I listened to all last year was the show with Maddie talking, just oh. very simple topic, favorite wrestlers. Oh. <laughs> loved that show. It was so much fun. I oh. flew by. I had an absolute blast. If you're not signed up to the Patreon, you need to sign up for, for that reason alone to listen to that show. To get uh, Matty and Alan in a room, I didn't realise that was the dream podcast I wanted, but yes. I can't imagine. I think you both oh, love wrestling so much but in Twitter. such different ways. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be so good. You, Sarah, Sarah loves yeah. Matty. Oh, Honestly, get you two and Jamesy on with him. <laughs> just like, it'd be brilliant. As he tells you about Edge versus Seth Rollins. Just glorious, glorious stuff. <laughs> and, and top five crisps, top five chocolate bars. <laughs> just, oh. 
<laughs> I'll let him know that you were uh, praising him, uh, Alan, because yeah, he, he's definitely uh, wanting to get back on. So we'll we'll definitely have him on for another fire tomorrow. We'll try and uh, try and do something with you as well. I think that'll be a, that'll be a laugh. Um, and that'll be gold. Yeah, gotta gotta be, gotta be done. <laughs> uh, yeah, anything else, Gareth? Before we go, t-shirts. You can buy t-shirts. Grappled up bigcartel.com. Um, if you JP's sporting one right now, oh, if, uh, I am indeed. Want to do the demonstration for no, anybody watching well, on video? There you go. Looks Look like this. And my OnlyFans is very similar to this as well. So <laughs> some double up on that. Um, yeah. Look at that lovely item there. Oh, Only for showing a t-shirt. <laughs> um yeah it, it absolutely lovely look at this I, you know I've, I've rinsed out fucking t-shirts to be honest with you and like this one absolutely spot on love wearing it and it's also one of those wrestling t-shirts that doesn't have massive loud design on it there's a lovely minimalist element to it it's kind of like the t-shirt equivalent of robert de niro's house in heat <laughs> i appreciate <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's there's the quote to go <laughs> to go on the mag on the magazine ad for it or something like that. But and all roads lead to lead to Leeds, don't they? There you go. Yeah. Look forward to that. More detail coming next week, and yeah, uh, obviously we'll have uh, the tickets on sale next Monday. Um, and yeah, really excited. Hope uh, everyone gonna meet us out in Leeds. But yeah, other than that, that's it for us for part one. We'll be back with part two, counting down our numbers five till one. Maybe we'll even sneakily get Alan's take on it and William Regal as well. I've been wanting to hear that. Yes. So, yeah. There's there's a yes. teaser for you. Um, but yeah, yes. we'll catch we'll catch you again for part two in your feeds later this week. Cheers all. Bye. See ya. Bye bye.